Today, we're interviewing Parker McLaughlin, former PGA Tour winner of the 2008 Reno Tahoe Open. Today, Parker is known as the short game chef, a short game coach who has caught fire and teaches players on a variety of tours. Here's the story of Parker McLaughlin. Enjoy. Let's start off and who are you? How how did you get in the game of golf? Take me from when you were born to the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, I was basically, uh, I was a gym rat. Like both my parents were volleyball, basketball. Dad was a basketball and volleyball coach. So I was a gym rat from like the get-go. So I was always in playing hoops, playing volley. Um, that was my first love uh, were both of those sports. And then uh, golf kind of came a little bit later, uh, kind of like got introduced to it around eight, kind of started getting a little more serious around 12, 13. And, uh, this is in Hawaii. This yeah. is in Hawaii. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously like all the outdoor sports, beach volley, surfing, all that stuff, we'd spend a lot of time doing that. But I think the thing that drew me to golf was the individual aspect of it. Like I'd have a few guys on my team that were always sort of on Hawaiian time for volleyball, basketball. Every time they were late, we were all running lines, right? And I'm like, man, this sucks to like have these guys be like, now I got to run because they're late. So I like the individual aspect of it where it's like, man, whatever I put in, I got out. I could see myself getting better. Uh, and that's kind of what drew me to golf to start with. Um, but I still played volleyball and basketball throughout high school. Yeah. Um, what was the golf scene like in Hawaii when you were a kid? Were um, you kind of an outlier playing golf? No, there was golf was popular in Hawaii for sure. Like a big Japanese influence, you yeah. know, a lot of Japanese, uh, Chinese were over living in Hawaii and, and in Japan, you know, golf was a big sport. And so um, golf was a big, a big scene in Hawaii. Like there was a lot of golf courses. Golf was always very, very popular. Um, but yeah, I, I was a, uh, you know, I, I progressively got better and better and better. And then, you know, kind of like got to high school and I would like, I was, um, I felt like I was like the guy, right? Like, I mean, I was, uh, my junior year of high school, I went to the state tournament, uh, for the high, high school state championships and shot 74 the first day. And I think I was like four shots back and then go to the second day and it's blowing like 30, 40, like we're at a uh, Hapuna on the big Island and the, the wind's just howling. And I somehow shoot 66. It was a low round of the day by like seven shots. Jeez. Right. And so I ended up going from four back to winning by seven. Right. And maybe it was low round by like eight, eight shots. Anyhow, the guy that I played with, who's still one of my best buddies, who's the, uh, he's like the general manager over at Nenea. We were playing together and I shot 66. He shot 86 that day, right? It was, I mean, we, we both shot 74 the first day. He shoots, yeah. I still give him shit about it to this day. But, um, but anyway, that was sort of when I was like, okay, like I'm the real deal. Like I'd won some tournaments, but that was kind of put me a bit more on the map. Yeah. And then to and then I played volleyball, basketball, put the clubs away, then went back senior year, tried to repeat. And this, I was just thinking about this the other day about like how, like literally how arrogant and cocky that I was. This is like 1997. And I show, I, the, like two weeks before the state tournament, I'm like, man, this, this uh, persimmon wood like looks really good. Like, I think I'm going to play it. Oh. And so I took a persimmon driver. Everyone's playing metal woods. And I took a persimmon driver to the state tournament because I thought I was that fucking good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I took it there 
And I think I hit like four balls out of bounds for the week and I lost by two shots, right? And I finished, uh, I think I finished second or third. And, but like, that's how like much confidence I had. I was like, Man, I'm gonna beat these guys with a person in clothes. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, you think about it, you're like, what was I thinking? Yeah. You know? But like, that's just how much confidence I had in my own self, my own game. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of like a little bit of the, sort of the high school. And I'm assuming is that when UCLA saw you when you shot that 66 and that kind of put you on the map. And then I'm assuming the persimmon wood didn't, didn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I ended up having a good summer after the, after my junior year, uh, you know, had a couple of top fives and some big, big tournaments. Um, and I think it was like the junior PGA. I remember playing with like Trevor Immelman, Kyle Thompson, um, and you know finished top five there and so yeah that was sort of when ucla started noticing me um kind of had offers from like washington ucla santa barbara uh north carolina was like kind of my i grew up loving jordan yeah you know just chapel hill so that was kind of my dream school and they offered you know a small amount but i was like man i would love to so i took a visit there and then university of hawaii they called me like last minute they're like hey you want to come play for us we'll give you a full ride and i'm like where have you guys been? Like I live yeah. like walking distance from your school. And they, they called me at the literally on signing day and they're like, Hey, do you want to, we'll give you a full scholarship. I'm like, no, you guys haven't. Yeah. I'm making plans already. At all. Yeah. And you really want to go to North Carolina. I was thinking a, about it. Yeah. I took a recruiting trip there. That's a big journey. Yeah. Well, my dad, you know, my dad had a connection with like coach Dean Smith. Okay. Um, so I went on my recruiting trip and got to go in the Dean dome. Dean Smith came out, said, hi, we hung out for 10, 15 minutes. And like the golf coach at the time was like, who are you? Like, wh <laughs> why is coach Smith coming out to say hi to you? Like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, no, he doesn't come out for any recruits, right? But he's coming out for a golfer. I was, like, I was like, well, every time Carolina would go to play the rainbow classic, they didn't want to practice at UH at the university of Hawaii. They wanted to come off site. Yeah. So my dad would always let him come to the gym and practice there, close it down and they could get all their work done. Wow. So my dad and Coach Smith were, I'd say, I'd say pretty, pretty good friends. Yeah. Um, and so that was that sort of relationship built. And then uh, I saw Coach Smith at like the Edgewood Lake Tahoe thing when I was like 12, 13 years old. And he like had me come out and caddy for him for like four or five holes, carrying his bag. He was playing in the tournament. Um, so we've just maintained a long relationship. Like he would literally like write me letters like, hey, I saw that you played in this tournament. I'm really excited for you. Wow. Like crazy, like unbelievable, like stuff that, like you read like about John Wooden. Yeah. Similar type stuff, like amazing. Like he had, he read a lot. He had so much knowledge. He followed things. Yeah. This is the days before the internet, right? And he was like paying attention to like golf scores in Hawaii, <laughs> you know, That's which is incredible. bizarre. Yeah, but it's amazing. That's awesome. So you go to UCLA. Mm -hmm. And so, and why did you choose UCLA? Um, I mean, in all honesty, it was like the weather, yep. uh, had an unbelievably beautiful girl take me around campus. Okay. That, helps. that always helps. Yeah. Um, and I just, I liked all the golf courses. All the golf courses were like, you know, Bel Air, Lakeside, yeah. Brentwood, uh, Wilshire, Hillcrest, LA country club, Riv, tons of great golf there. And I'm like, wow, if I can get my game better here, I yeah. know where better to go. Oh. And so you're at UCLA, and I, I'd assume you, did, you had a very good career. 
Yeah. So, I mean, even just to start, though, I redshirted my first year. Okay. So I got there. I was like wide eyed. I'm like coming from an island, right? Yeah. Showing up in LA, big city, big campus. I was just like, what is going on here, right? I was just kind of sheltered a little bit. And I came there and I'm like, wow, what, what is all this stuff? Yeah. And so sort of fell a little bit into like the, um, I wouldn't say like over partying, but just like enjoying college. Um, didn't study very much. Didn't hit, I hit two, I hit two baskets of golf balls my entire freshman year. No way. Yeah. <laughs> didn't practice at all. Yeah. It was terrible. Uh, got a girlfriend and it was like, I was just like, you know, I, I remember my last semester uh, of my freshman year, I think I had this physics class. I don't know why I was taking physics, but I had this physics class and I think I got like a D, right? And, and I come home and both my parents are educators, right? They're both yeah. teachers. And I got a D and I was on, put on academic probation because my total GPA was under 2.0. Yeah. So like the athletic department's like, Dude, you're on academic probation. I think I had like a one eight or something like that. And I'm like, my dad's like, you need to get your shit in order. Yeah. Like, this is not okay. And so anyway, that summer, no more girlfriend, got to work, uh, worked at Wildlife Country Club, okay. doing carts, cleaning clubs, that whole deal. Practice from sun up, worked, sundown, at the golf course the whole time. Um and then uh, I just grinded. I was like, "Man, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna shoot 76 anymore." Yeah. <laughs> so I showed up to qualifying as a redshirt freshman in the fall, and I won. Qual- it was like a 10 round qualifier, and I won. I won the qualifying. Uh, nobody on our team would like even expected it, right? Yeah. And I I won the qualifying, and I didn't miss a tournament my next four years. Wow. So like, every single played every tournament the rest. The rest of my career. And I don't think very many people understand what it is to play college golf with the aspirations to be a professional golfer. Cause I feel, this is just my opinion. There's such a disconnect between college golf and professional golf in the sense that, and maybe it's just the fans perspective, but you're like, this guy, you know, doesn't seem very good. He gets zero coverage and you expect him to go on, go on to the PGA tour. What was the transition like? And when did you make the decision? I'm going to be a professional golfer. I always, I mean, that was, there was no backup plan. Yeah. Right. It was always, I'm going to play professional golf. Um, but I never won in college. I think I had two second place finishes. Okay. But I never won. I didn't have the pedigree of like a Ricky Barnes or a Hunter Mahan, Kevin Stadler. I didn't have that pedigree coming out. Yeah. Um, but I, my senior year, I was having, having issues with my wrist and like, I didn't carry a driver my entire senior year. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't release it. I couldn't release the club. It hurt too bad. So I'd had three cortisone shots and I didn't even carry a driver. I just carried a three with my entire senior year. Again, going back to like, I'm, a, I think that I'm a badass, right? Like yeah. I wasn't necessarily because of that, but it was like, partly it was the wrist and whatever. And so anyway, I had surgery after, after school, um, to repair the wrist, six month rehab. I happened to meet a sports psychologist in Hawaii. I was home in Hawaii. Happened to meet the sports psychologist who was uh, a New York guy. Had had worked with uh, Greg Luganis and the U.S. Uh, diving team back in the '80s. Worked at Merrill Lynch, helping the traders get more confidence in their trades, like having no fear, no doubts when they're making their trades. And um, happened to run into him. 9/11 had happened. He was like, "I'm done with New York. I'm moving." Moved to Hawaii, took a um, 
you know, was just like, I'm retiring, I'm done. Yeah. So anyway, he was sort of getting out of that sort of itch of like, I'm retired. We happened to run into each other and uh, I started working together. He started giving me books to read. I, I had a cast on my wrist for three months. He's like, hey, read this book, let's talk next week. Yeah. Read this book, let's talk next week. Taught me how the mind works, taught me um, what to input into my, into my brain. And, uh, and so we did it for like six months of like back and forth. And then I finally got the okay to like start chipping and putting and stuff like that. Yeah. And so one of our, our, our first session where I, I was able to actually grab a club and putt, we went out to this course, Hawaii Kai Par 3. And the greens are like, you know, shaggier than anything you've ever seen, right? Just, and we dropped three balls from 20 feet away. And he's like, okay, let's work on this mental stuff we've been working on. So I visualize the putts, I'd see it, I would like literally get so deep into it that I would see a, a, a shade of, a different shade of green as the ball was going into the hole, like I could see it. And so I would get that image in my head, I would step up, I'd make it, he said, you know, make your practice stroke. He called it a rehearsal stroke because he worked with some like Broadway people and musicians. Make your rehearsal stroke. Don't, don't step into the putt until you've made that rehearsal stroke and you see that ball go in. Yeah. Right. So feel it, see it. So I did it, right? I, I, I made the rehearsal stroke and he said, okay, when you have the green light, then you can step in, one look and go. Yeah. Stepped in, one look, hoop the first one. It's like, all right. So I get back, I look at it again. And these greens are like nasty, terrible, right? And so I look at it again, I get deep into this thing. I know exactly like how to input it in my brain. I get in there, I make a couple of rehearsal strokes, I step into it, hoop the second one. We're talking a 20-foot putt, right? I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Anyway, I get up on the third one, do it, same thing again. Lips out, comes right back at me. I was like, holy shit, this guy's onto something. Like, there's something special about it. Yeah. And so that's kind of like what led me to kind of start going a little deeper into your question. The, the difference between college golf, professional golf is all up here. Yep. Right? It's all confidence. It's all belief. It's all um, how you manage your, your mind. Yeah. Um, and so you see guys like Matt Wolf, Victor Hovland step right on in. They've got that self-belief. It's at a high level. But even we see Matt Wolf struggling with his, you know, mental state of being. Yeah. So it's an it's an, an important thing. And so me meeting this sports psychologist was an it was a massive thing for me because I went from being a guy of like. Yeah, I'd finish in the top 25 a handful of times. Yeah. To then all of a sudden, first year as a professional after having wrist surgery, uh, you know, I ended up winning twice on two different mini tours. Next year as a professional, win twice on two different mini tours after that. And then um, that was kind of like my my step into it, into professional golf. And I'm like, man, I didn't win in college at all. Now I've yeah. won like four times in the last two years. And you were going to attribute that to the mental side of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's something that's so worth talking about because I feel like that the average amateur golfer doesn't know what they don't know. And they go out, they don't practice much and they expect something. And then they get angry on the third hole and then the round's over. Yep. And it's like, they, it's, it's almost like they should be speaking Japanese and they're speaking English. It's just, and, and I've gone through this. I've worked with you and, I've, yep. and there's so many things I don't know. On the mental side of things, if you're just going to start with someone, because now you're a coach, what would you say this is what we need to do? We need to block out the, the noise or whatever it is. What, what's your first step? 
Um, I'd say first is understand that what you say out loud is basically inputting. So if you say, God, you suck, yeah. boom, that's inputting right into your brain. Or if you say, don't miss it left, your brain doesn't understand the word don't. So all, you, all it hears is miss it left. Yeah. What do you do? You miss it left. So it's like paying attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth is massively important. Yeah. So, and then feeding yourself the positive words, as corny as it sounds, like it really, it really does work, right? Like, I know I'm the best putter in the world. Like, I've watched Jimmy a hundred times step over a putt and just tell me, like, he's like, I know I'm the best putter in the world, and he makes a 20-footer. Yeah. But that's just like, you tell yourself over and over what you are or what you're not, you know? Self, what, what do they call it? Self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy right? exactly. And so, you've hit some of the golf, some of the, some great golf shots in very pressure situations. Let's say I'm I'm playing in a tournament that means everything to me. I'm sitting on the ninth tee box. Let's say, let's use the resorters as an example. You got a downhill fairway that slopes right and right along the rough is OB right. And if you go OB, you're gonna double bogey the hole. You just can't do that in the tournament. So I'm, you're sitting over this tee ball thinking, I can't go right. How, like, how do you change that mentality? Because that's something <laughs> I deal with and I need help with it. But like, what, what would you be thinking? So I think first off, you think, you, you get a picture in your head yep. of like what you're going to do. So it has to be like a really good visual shape of shot or feel, whatever it might be, get a good visual, a good like picture in your brain of like what this is going to be, right? Yep. Is it going to be a draw? Am I going to start it over here? W- what is the visual, right? So yep. lock onto that. And then you tell yourself over and over, I'm going to hit a great shot. I'm going to hit a draw here. I will miss this on the left-hand side here. Yep. Like I... I am the best driver of the golf ball in the world. Like, yeah. I'm going to hit this up a Nat's ass. Like, you got to say those kind of things to yourself, right? That, that's, that's where it starts. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you can see it on, on tour. There's a lot of guys like Brooks Kepka and stuff. You'd think he's the president of the world, yep. the way he acts on the course, and it, and it translates. But Well, like Matt Wolf, he would say to himself as he's walking into the shot, Yeah. I'm a badass motherfucker with a big-ass dick. Like, that's what he says to himself. No way. Swear to God. <laughs> and he came up with like a saying, like uh, whatever, whatever the saying is. Yeah. But that, like, he used the, the first letter of all the words. And that's what, that's, that's what he says to himself as he walks into the shop. Like there, there's something to like having that, that internal confidence. And even to the point of being delusional, yep. it's okay. Yeah. Like you, can, you can be delusional and just be like, I am literally the greatest driver of the golf ball in the world. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to believe it, but you keep saying it over and over, you're going to start hitting more good shots than you are poor shots. Yeah. I mean, I know that for a fact because half the times I show up to the golf course now, I'm like, got a bad back, I'm a dad, and I'm <laughs> making all the excuses, and I duck hook it on the first one. But, okay, let's go back. So you, you get out of UCLA, you, you've now met a coach, and now you have found success on the mini tours. And so... Take us to the PGA Tour, but also tell us about your mentality because I, I can't imagine that you were that confident throughout all the ups and downs. So walk us through that. Yeah, so it was back in the day of like actual like six round Q schools for a PGA Tour card, right? Yeah. Which was like insanely like yeah. it, it was such a cool tournament. It's such a bummer that it kind of went away. Um, but yeah, so so that second year after my second full year. I go to the second stage, I, I breeze through the first stage of Q school, go to the second stage of Q school, and I'm playing in Houston, 
and it was like the on the final day on the 18th hole and I was kind of one of the first groups out bad weather playing in like mid-November uh, and we had some bad weather and it had rained a bunch and I get up to my ball and I've got like 200 yards in and I got mud on the half of my ball and we're playing it down yeah and I'm like I know I'm like kind of right on the number to get through. I think it's like 80 guys, top 20, get through. So I know I'm going to be close. So anyway, I hit this I hit this four iron, and I hit it really good, but it starts out, it goes out to the right and then hooks back to the left. Ends up rolling up this far from the hole. I tap in for birdie, right? Yeah. I go in, and I make it on the number. I wait for all the guys to come in, and I make it on the number, right? And I'm like... Oh my God, that just changed my world, right? Because if you don't get through second stage, you have no status at all. You're done. Yeah. So now I knew I'm going to final stage. Sweet. I'm going to have at least Corn Ferry status or PGA Tour status. Yeah. One of the two. So I go to final stage and it was in Florida uh, at um, Orange County National. And so I go around there and I'm playing and I believe I was playing the last round with Y.E. Yang. Okay. Remember that? Yeah. That name? PGA PGA champion, beat Tiger. Yep. Uh, playing the final round with Y.E. Yang. And I birdied three of my last four holes in the, on the sixth round, right? I was close, very close to the number. And I birdied three of my last four holes, birdied my last two, and I finish, and I'm right on the number. I'm like tied for, tied for 23rd, and yeah. 25 get their card, right? And I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and like an hour later, I bumped out to like 27th or 28th, right? Guys had made birdies. And so I ended up missing my card by one shot, right? To get to get onto the PGA Tour that year. But I got full full exempt status onto the Corn Ferry Tour that year. So I played the full year out there. Uh, I didn't win, but I had two second place finishes. Okay. First event first event on the Corn Ferry Tour in Panama, finished second. Um, so you're kind of a hot commodity at that point. Yeah. Who's this Parker McLaughlin? First yeah. year, first tournament. Exactly. First yeah. year, first tournament, come right out, second place. It was like, man, this is this is easy. I had like a 14-year-old yeah. uh, like local kid catting for me. Where's my Woodwood? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah. give me that persimmon again. Yeah. Um, and so and so yeah, I thought it was like, oh, this is pretty easy, right? But you you just you there's waves in golf right because you're not always firing in all cylinders your swing your alignment stance all that stuff things change yeah your mental outlook kind of shifts places that you're in man we're eating some good food this is great I'm feeling great play well yeah and then all of a sudden you're like man I've been on the road for seven straight weeks I haven't seen my wife I'm missing home start playing crappy right. All those sort of things factor into like how you play. Yeah, um, it's not always quite as glorious as it's sort of made out to seem, right? Of like playing professional golf. Yeah. So yeah, some ups and downs, and and uh, played the rest of that year. Ended up finishing um, 29th on that money list that year, and so was exempted back into final stage of Q school. You didn't get exempt in no so then it was, following year. It for- was the uh, top. I think at the time it was top 20. That's Go to the PGA Go Tour. Go to the PGA Tour. I was 29th. But you had full status for Corn Ferry. Full status okay. for Corn Ferry. Okay. But I had a chance to go back to final stage and earn a PGA Tour Okay. Card. Yep. Yeah. And so went back to final stage. Uh, it was in Palm Springs. And played played great. Ended up getting my tour card. Finished like, I don't know, 12th or 11th or 12th. And you're confident at this point. 
Yeah, now I'm like, dude, I spent a whole year out there. Yeah. Now I got my PGA Tour card. It's on. Like, yeah. Let's go. Um, and so, and I just felt like it's just been a gentle, like, progression up the ladder. Like, no big deal. Like, yeah. this is where I'm supposed to be. And so, um, so yeah, start out the uh, start out the year in, like, Hawaii. And I think I missed the cut there because, you know, it's just sort of like home course, First a lot time. of pressure. Yeah. And I'm assuming at this point, there's not that many Hawaiian professional golfers. You've now on the PJ Tour. Your first tournament's in Hawaii. Yeah. I'm assuming there's stories going about you and yeah. Yeah. the kind of the limelight's on you. Yeah, absolutely. So in, you know, in, in there was a guy named Dean Wilson who was yep. playing at the time. I think he had won a couple of years earlier. Um, and so, but it was pretty much just me and him. Yeah. And there hadn't really been anybody on the PGA Tour from Hawaii for like probably the previous 20 years. Okay. The previous guy was a guy named David Ishii who had won a bunch in Japan and then happened to get an exemption into Hawaii in like maybe like the late 80s, like 88 or something, and won yeah. uh, the Sony Open. And so it was like he was like the last guy to, to kind of be... Uh, a, a factor from Hawaii. So there, there's not a lot of us there. So it was, yeah. I mean, it was like, couldn't have a normal week there. Like it was the course I grew up taking lessons at when I was an eight year old. I then started cleaning bathrooms there when I was like 12 in yeah. the pro shop, taking the flag down, cleaning bathrooms, uh, vacuuming the pro shop. The thing that you do when you're 12 to get playing privileges, practice privileges at that golf course. Yeah. And then, um, as I got older, started you know cleaning the carts and the whole thing. So I knew all the staff that was there. So I'm coming back now, like f- four or five years later, and I'm like, dude, I'm on the PGA Tour. These guys are still in the cart barn. The same guys that I'm working, I had been working with, right? Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a trip. Um, and I'm assuming when you played on the PGA Tour, especially when you started out, like you played with a badge on your shirt essentially that you're like I'm Hawaiian I'm playing for the for Hawaii yeah did you ever feel that did you get that sense that people were rooting for you like that yeah oh absolutely I mean I think I think when you grow up in Hawaii it's such a tight-knit community that you feel like everybody's rooting for you and you feel like you're playing for the state of Hawaii yeah even though I don't have like Hawaiian blood in me I you know it's like I still bleed like I like I feel like I'm Hawaiian right yeah um, even though I don't necessarily have like Hawaiian heritage. Um, but I just feel like that's where I grew up. That's my, that's my culture. That's my background. Those that's, are your people. Those yeah. are my people. And so, yeah, it was, it was a sense of pride almost to the point of like, I mean, you walk down the first fairway and it's like, like you get emotional, yeah. right? Cause you're like, all these people are like, we got one of our own, like on the PGA tour. Like, yeah, it's, it was, yeah, really, really cool and special. Um, and when you're trying to play on the PJ Tour, especially in your first year, and you're trying to do all this mental stuff, get locked in, and typically you're playing in, let's say you're playing in Denver, Colorado, or in Dallas, Texas, you don't know anybody for the most part, you go home to, to Hawaii, and yeah. everyone's like, there's Parker, 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 yeah. Parker. Yeah. That's tough to get back into that mental zone, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think at the, at the time, I think Michelle Wee was starting to become okay. like a big thing. Uh, I don't think it was that year, but I think it was the following year where she played in the Sony where at like a 14-year-old. Yeah. And like nearly made the cut, right? Um, and so that was that that was kind of she was she was kind of starting to come on, on the scene as well. 
but for the most part, it was kind of me and Dean Wilson, and it was like, man, these are the our only two guys. That's all we got. Yeah, we hadn't had anybody for the last 20, 20 years. Yeah, so, yeah, it's hard to keep it together. Like you're paying, you're you're like I gotta focus, but it's like, man, there's shoot my fourth grade teachers right there, and then like <laughs> yeah. aunt, auntie over there. Right? Yeah. So it's like, and in Hawaii, everybody's your auntie or uncle, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, auntie so and so, oh, uncle so and so, right? Yeah. And that's just how people, that's, it's everybody's family there. Yep. So you just sort of feel a little bit more emotional. Um, the, the following year, uh, following year, I ended up playing, I ended up playing really well. Um, and I was paired in the final round with Shigeki Maruyama. Okay. Remember Shigeki? Yeah. He was, had a couple re- like some really good years out there, played good in like the Masters a couple times. Anyway, Shigeki, massive star in Japan, like, rock star status in Japan, right? And so, anyway, it's, we're playing as a twosome at like one o'clock in the afternoon, probably we're both in like maybe 15th or 20th. Yeah. And we're playing as a twosome and we, we tee off, we're walking down the first fairway and the, all the, there's a bunch of Japanese people that, you know, they love to take pictures and they're <laughs> like, oh, Shigeki-san, Shigeki-san. So we're walking down the fairway and Shigeki's, you know, they're all, ah, Shigeki-san. They're all bowing, right? And I was like, yeah. I was like, wow, Shigeki, you rock star, man. Yeah. And, uh, and then anyway, we get like another hundred yards and then there's like this huge grouping of like where people enter and they'd gotten there late Hawaiian time, right? They yeah. missed my tea time. But there's like a hundred people that were there and they all had like signs and they're like all chanting for me, right? And Shigeki looks back at me and says, ah, Pakasan, you rock star, not me, you rock star. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like just things like that where you're like, oh, that was like, those are fun like um, experiences, right? Where uh, you end up and not en- many, enjoying that moment. And you know? not many PGA Tour players have that kind of, you know, backing, I would assume. You know, they come from L.A., you know, mm-hmm. they come from California or Florida or something like that. You came from a small island where, like you said, there was two men professional golfers in yeah. one so I, I can't imagine what that what well, and growing like. up at the course where they have the tournament like that you know like there, there's a lot of people that grow up in florida but not necessarily at tpc sawgrass yeah right? you know what i mean and that sounds like a disney story to me to be honest yeah, it kind of it kind of is and like you know like jimmy was there caddy for me there a couple years ago and it was like man what a what a uh, what an experience of like what what are we just like you go around there and you're like, dude, you know everybody here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just, they're all family, right? It's, that's what well, it feels like. Well, I think we all think about golf as a romantic sport, you know, as much as we think of baseball as a romantic sport. And the way Jimmy described caddying for you out there gave me goosebumps. He was like, you know, we'd pull up on whatever hole it was, 15 or something. It was along the freeway mm-hmm. and there's cars parked all out there yeah. and you're, you're in your later stage of your career <laughs> right. and they're still holding signs, yeah. Parker, Parker, yeah, Parker. Standing in the back of their truck. Yeah. Yeah. Trying that, to get them. Yeah. That, I mean, you can't find that very yeah. many places. And that's, I, I, it seems like you're like a symbol out there. And um, I don't even know if that's a question because it's, I just, it gets, it gets me going. It fires yeah. me up. Am but, I allowed to side, side story what, on Yes. hundred percent. So, am I, am I alive? Yeah. Uh, Time flies, but it was this year that I was out there at the Sony with them. And just to to go off of what you were saying, it's pretty wild because there were two different situations during that time where I was like, wow, like this island is family and Parker is means a lot to the island, right? So one was 
we were at his parents' house, and I think they've been there forever yep. in, in that home, right? Yep. Um, and we were outside. Kids were playing around in the front yard. There was a barbecue going on. His parents were cooking food. And this local dude rolls up, stops the car, rolls the window down. He's like, Parker, bro, bring, no, what did he say? He goes, he's like, Parker, bro, br bring, back, bring back the green jacket this year, bro. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, it was just like so random, but like he he stopped, gave him love, and then it's like a scene from Blue Crush. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Blue Crush. I don't know about Blue Crush, <laughs> but right is that the surfing movie? Yeah, a surfing movie. But how about North Shore? North, North, Shore, yeah, North Shore. There was another surreal moment for real though, um, because I was catting for him uh, during the heart of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So there were no fans. Yeah. Um, and I want to say it was the back nine. Right before the par three, dog leg left. Yep. You snipe it over the trees, but the street's on the tee box. Right. And so everyone knew when Parker teed off, right? So yeah. they knew, what hole is that, Parker? Uh, is it like 16 or is it on the, on the no, other side? No, it would be, oh, well, I guess, what hole did 15, we tee off? Maybe? Yeah. Anyways, but the road comes right onto the tee box. And yeah, so everyone 15. knew where Parker was, but fans weren't allowed. And so all of a sudden, we hadn't seen fans all day. And all of a sudden, you know, we're walking up to 15 T-Box and I see like seven trucks lined up and all these guys and gals sitting on top of the trucks, you know. Trying to get a view. Trying yeah. to get a view. Yeah. They're, they're getting away from their day job, you know, construction, whatever it may be. They got their beers and we're walking up to the T-Box and they're sitting on top of their cars and they're like, Parker, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> And you're just like, wow, like this guy means a lot to the island and <coughs> to the sport. And it was, it was just cool because at the time, like I said, there was there was no fans. It was yeah. just it was quiet. Yeah, totally. So that was cool. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So you leave the Sony open, you get off the island, and you're yep. back on on a main island, um, and take us from there. So you got one one tournament under your belt. And you're confident as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then we kind of start. Um, the next tournament was, I think the next one I played was San Diego. I think it was, I think I skipped the Bob Hope. I think I had some obligations in Hawaii to kind of take care of and then went to San Diego. And the thing I remember about San Diego is my second tournament as a PGA Tour member. Uh, I'd played like a U.S. Open. I'd play. I'd Monday qualified into a, a Sony Open, a couple of Sony Opens, before I was a PGA Tour member. So maybe my fifth event total as a, a, a you know, playing on the PGA Tour was San Diego. And so we're playing Torrey Pines, um, getting ready to have the U.S. Open there, like a year and a half later, and we get up. I played the back nine first on the south course. And the south will smack you in the face if you don't pay attention. And so I think I was one over, made the turn, a couple pars on one and two, and then three, they had the pin tucked like back left, that downhill par three yep. going towards the water. Yep. And at the time, it was the Buick Invitational, right? And so anyway, so I get up there, and it's like a, it's a six iron. Wind was into late in the afternoon, and I hit the six iron. I remember aiming at the middle of the green, I don't want to mess with left. Left is literally death. And so I pulled it just a little bit, um, and it's going right at it. And all my, like I had a bunch of family that lives in Southern California, 
So they're all there, and they had kind of walked down. And this thing, I pulled it left, trickles up, goes in the hole for an ace. All my family, we can't really see because the sun's kind of going down and whatever. But they all go nuts, right? I'm like, I think that went in, right? So I go from like one over to one under, end up playing pretty good the rest of the week, finish like 23rd or something like that. And I was like, man, that shot like really changed kind of the tone for me for like getting off to like, because as a rookie, you need to make cuts to reshuffle and to get into more tournaments. Yeah. So like holding that on that part three, I was like, man, what a, it, it sort of changed. That was the turning point. Yeah, it sort of changed the rest of the year. Yeah. Now I ended up not having like the greatest year after that. I played okay, but I ended up finishing like 135th on the money list. Um, and so that sent me back to final stage of Q school. Okay. Right. So I would have had conditional status. Yep. Top 125, keep their card. So I finished 135. And so I head back to final stage and it was back in Florida. And I remember, I think the thing I remember the most was I ended up, I was playing really good, was in like maybe eighth, ninth, 10th, going into the sixth round. And I, it was blowing on, on the final day. And I remember being like a couple over through like nine holes. And my caddy at the time, this guy named Cubby, who caddied for like Davis Love for, and who would be great to have on this thing. Yeah. Uh, he caddied for Davis Love for a dozen years, caddied for Brad Faxon for about 10 years. His always famous line is like, yeah, you know, Fax, when I caddied for Faxon, he bought me my house. So when I caddied for Davis, he bought me a bigger house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's on. Yeah. So anyway, this guy started caddying for me just out of the blue. He, he was, Davis had kind of let him go and then he was, not really doing anything and then I needed a replacement so he came in we finished like 11th 25th and then went to went to Q school and um and he caddied for me there and it was like he just looked at me he's like look you're one of the greatest win players that ever was let's go fucking have a nine let's go and I get in and I get in I shoot four under on the back nine and he looked at me after we were walking off he's like it's one of the greatest nine holes of golf I've ever seen right like Hole 109 th- or hole, like, what is it? Like 108 holes. So hole 99 through 108. Yeah. He's like, you just went four under par and like the toughest stretch of golf, blowing 20. Like that was one of the best nine holes of golf I've ever seen. He's like, you got some stones. And I was like, so I finished like 10th or 11th at Q school there. And I was like, okay, now I'm back in the mix. And yeah. I went, to, went back to Hawaii. Finished 10th, playing with Shigeki that year. That was the, that year I played with Shigeki. Finished 10th. Finished 27th at, uh, you know, like Torrey Pines. And then maybe 27th here in Phoenix Open. There's and momentum. I was just like, yeah, I was just rolling, right? Yeah. Played, played really well kind of through the summer. And I started working with, like, uh, Peter Costas that year. Um, and kind of, like, fell into a little bit of a lull. And then I was like, um, I was like, man, I, I, I think I'm going to just sort of do my own thing for a little bit. And yeah. so this summer stretch, I was like, I'm going to just play golf. I'm just going to just play. Just try to find it and just play. So I went out there. I played like six weeks in a row, which at the time was like a lot of golf. On the road, I mean, you're talking like Flint, Michigan to John <laughs> Deere to then like 
Canadian Open to you know you're all over all over the map. Yeah. Right? Um, and so anyway, we get to I play the Canadian Open, and in the final round, I like I kind of felt like I found something. I was like, man, this I, f- I found something. I think I finished like thirty fifth or something like that. Yeah. But I'm like, I think I found something. Anyway, flew home. I I'd signed up to play Reno. And I flew home, and I was at home Monday, at home Tuesday. I was still signed up to play in the tournament, but yeah. I knew I knew I was in the pro am. So I was like, "All right, I'm going to get a practice round no matter what. Like I'm in the pro am. I don't need to get there till." And I knew my pro am tee time was Wednesday afternoon. So I was like, "I really don't need to fly out of here if, if I make the decision till Wednesday morning." Yeah. And so I was just like. I was like, man, I don't want to be sitting at home. Like, I got, I know I got the right feeling. Like, I know I'm striping it, right? Yeah. I'm like, I think, I t- so I told my wife, I'm like, I literally bought a ticket on Tuesday afternoon. I bought a ticket Wednesday morning to fly to Reno, Phoenix to Reno. And I was like, hey, do you want to come? And she's like, no, we've been on the road for six weeks. Like, this is week seven. Like, I want to be home. Yeah. She's like, just go do your thing. It's like, all right. So anyway, I fly up Wednesday morning, play the Pro-Am. Tee off, uh, I'm going to go late the first day. Teed off late the first day and shot 68. It was like, yeah, it was windy, felt pretty good. But I was like, I got it. I know I got it, right? I, it just feels like I, I know where it's going. Yeah. And so tee off early the next morning and I just get after it and I shoot 10 under, right? I shoot 62. And it was just like, it's on, right? I made everything, hit it great. And it was like, let's go. Yeah. And so th- another kind of sidebar funny story, Michelle Wee was playing that week on a sponsor exemption, right? Yeah. And so we, we text back and forth on, you know, kind of joking and whatever. She's very competitive. So am I. Um, and so we have a great little kind of banter. And she shoots 82, or she shoots 80. She, I played in the morning. She shoots 80 in the afternoon, right? Yeah. So I beat her by 18 shots. So anyway, I text her and I was like, hey, please, the next time we play golf together, don't ask for a shot a hole, okay? <laughs> Just because I beat you by 18 today, don't ask for a shot a hole the next time we play together. Yeah. She, she laughed. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, so anyway, so I've got a, I think I got a four shot lead going into the weekend. Okay. Um, and, and at this point, like I'd kind of felt like I would kind of locked up my card a little bit. Like I knew, like I'd already had a handful of, of top um, top twenty fives, and that's always in the back of your mind. Always, thinking, I, I want to be out here next year. Always, okay. always. I had had a close call um, in Atlanta in like April uh, at the. It was a called the AT and T. It was at Sugarloaf, and. Um, I had had <laughs> funny sidebar story to that um, because that actually helped me with with Reno. Yeah. But I was in Atlanta. I went out to dinner on Saturday night. I was in like 28th or something, 25th, 28th. Go out to dinner Saturday night with Dean Wilson and his girlfriend at the time, me and my wife. We go out to dinner in Atlanta, Buckhead, have a great night, definitely overserved, like Definitely had a great time. Anyway, wake up the next morning and we were going off like between seven and nine o'clock. Bad <laughs> weather was coming in. It was like, I wake up that morning and I am like crazy hungover. I'm like, 
oh, I feel horrible. And I was playing the final round in threesomes, Matt Kuchar, Dan Forsman. Okay. We're going off the first hole. We're maybe like third or fourth group off. And so anyway, we, we play and I'm, again, still hung over, but just in that spot of like, I'm kind of, I kind of like am out of my own way. You're feeling it. I'm feeling it, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden I hold out this drivable par four, like 13, and I drive it in the greenside bunker at Sugarloaf, and I hold this bunker shot out, just like a shortish kind of bunker shot, maybe 40, 50 feet. Yeah. Hold it out to go eight under par for the round, right? I was eight under through 13. And I look up at the leaderboard, and I all of a sudden I got a three-shot lead. And I'm like, holy shit, right? <laughs> I start freaking out. All the, all the CBS cameras start showing up. Peter Costas, who was my coach at the time, yeah. shows up, starts following. And I'm like, well, this is different, right? I, w- I woke up with a hangover this morning. I did not expect this right <laughs> yeah. now, right? But now I have to deal with it. Yeah. And so I completely basically shit the bed. I bogey 14, par 15, bogey 16, par 17, 18's a par 5. And now I think I'm tied for the lead. Hit a great drive down the 18th fairway. It all kind of collects in this one little spot. So, like, uh, Dan Forsman was first. Cooch was right next to me. Like, literally, like, I think I had to mark my ball because, like, it, it was that close. Yeah. It all kind of collected. And it's you're going, over, you're going downhill and then over this lake. Um, and so we only had, like, 230 maybe, 220 in. Yeah. Um, so, anyway... Forsman hits, hits like five wood up onto the green. Cooch hits like hybrid up onto the back edge of the green. I get up and I've got hybrid and all of a sudden the weather that they were expecting shows up. Literally between the time he hits and then the time I hit. Wind picks up. Wind picks up and it's blowing straight in my face. Oh gosh. I look at my caddy and I'm like, uh, there's this guy Scott Neiser who caddied for uh, David Toms for probably 20 years and he happened to take a break from David and was caddying for me for most of that year. And so anyway, I'm like, Scotty, I'm like, this hybrid's just going in the water. And he's like, yeah, I agree. But I had this three wood that was like really hot and the back bunker was just deaf. Yeah. No good. Like, like this going back towards the water, back up, you know, down slope, downwind. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what am I, what should I do? He's like, just wait for the wind to settle down. So anyway, we wait and we're on camera now. Like there's cameras behind us, camera, cause I'm leading the golf tournament. Yeah. Cameras everywhere, right? And so I'm waiting and I'm like, keep throwing up wind. I'm like, where did this 20 mile an hour wind show up? Like <laughs> literally between the time Cooch hit and the time I hit, this yeah. wind shows up. So anyway, I end up deciding to lay up, right? I hit like a pitching wedge to lay up, maybe even a sandwich. I think I laid up with like a sandwich. Cause I only had 220, like I would just yeah. like hit it a hundred yards and hit it. <laughs> Another hundred yards. Yeah. And so, so anyway, I lay up and Cooch comes over and he's like, dude, that was terrible luck. Like, I can't believe that wind picked up. Like, I think you made the right play. It's like, cool. Anyway, I hit it onto the green 30 feet past the hole. Cause I didn't want to upshoot it, spin into the water. Yeah. I three putt, I make bogey. Costas is tearing me apart on, on the telecast. Your coach. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, well, this is not what we worked on because he's trying to protect his own ego. This is not what we worked on. He's never, he should never take this long to play. This, these are not the things we've been working on. And anyway, so I end up basically shitting the bed 
bogeying three of the last five, and I finished fifth, right? I think if I par the last three, par the last, par the last five holes rather than bogey three of the last five, I think I'd get into a playoff with Ryuji Mata and Kenny Perry. Anyway, I finished fifth, which was a great finish. Yeah. But it was like, man, I sure learned a lot. Like, I learned a lot about, like, how to deal with, like, being in the lead, those feelings, like, feeling like I'm freaking out and how to, like, try to calm that down. And so I learned a lot from that experience. But going from not being in the lead with no cameras to suddenly there's three cameras surrounding you, that's exactly. that's a huge adjustment. Huge adjustment. Yeah. Especially when you started the day thinking, like, Man, if I could just, you know, somehow sneak into the top 20 here, like I think yeah. it started like 28th. If I could sneak into the top 20, it'd be a good week. Yeah. Probably shouldn't have had that much alcohol the night before. <laughs> Little hung. Yeah. Not going to lie. And, but now all of a sudden I'm thrust into the spotlight. I'm like, holy crap, I just sobered up real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so it was a good learning experience. And then so fast forward like probably three months to, to like Reno. July in Reno. And I was like, Okay, now all of a sudden I've got a four-shot lead going on the weekend. Yeah. How do I deal with it? The cameras will be on me. And you're sleeping on the lead now. So mm-hmm. that's a, it's a different experience, but yeah. that, that helped you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So sleeping on the lead, still feeling like really good about my game. Okay. Like just like I know where it's going. I'm flushing it. Yeah. This is, it, it's, it's on. Yeah. Like I, I'm not like, how low can I go? Like that's what my thought was. And so go out, go out on Saturday and I and I remember like I think I I think I birdied like three, and then I get up on well, I birdied four. I get up on five, and five was a drivable par four. They'd move the tees. Actually, they didn't move the tees up, but it was just blowing downwind. Yeah, and it was drivable, like three eighty, but up at elevation and whatever, and you get it going. Most people hit like four iron layup, and and I was like. And this sets up perfect for my little, and I'm striping it. <laughs> I'm seeing it well. Guys are still on the green. Like uh, Spencer Levine was still on the green. Yeah. And I and I just sent this thing, right? Just low beater, runs up, hits off Spencer Levine's shoe, ends up like eight feet. Right? He was still on the green. That's a guy you don't want to piss off. No, no. <laughs> but thankfully we were boys, so he was like, oh, dude, I was stoked. I helped you out. It was great. Yeah. Anyway, make that, make eagle, and it was I was off to the races, right? So I think I was... I made another birdie on nine, like a 15, 20-footer, four under through nine, and it's like, see you guys, I'm out. Yeah. Right? Make a couple more birdies on the back nine, shoot 66, and it was like, I got a seven-shot lead. Let's go. Like, this is, let's, it's on, right? Yeah. Problem was, like, as we kind of got towards the finish, I kind of hit a couple that were a little squirrely. They didn't quite feel like quite as flush, right? Yep. That little bit of doubt creeps into the head. And I was like, man, I kind of got away with that one. Kind of got away with that one. Man, I don't, am I really ready to win this golf tournament? And so, you know, did a bunch of the media stuff afterward. Uh, went home, was staying with a, with a friend. And didn't sleep a wink that whole night. Oh, my gosh. Right? It was just like up all night, didn't sleep a wink. You know, you're just running through scenarios in your head. And it's like how do you calm this thing down? How do you shut it down to like allow yourself to like rest and just be like, this is just another, another day, another day at the golf course. Yeah. But it wasn't, it meant the world to me, right? This is something that I've been dreaming about since I was 12 years old. Like I was 12 years old and I told my dad, I'm like, dad, I'm going to win on the PGA tour and I'm going to buy you a Lexus 
and get rid of your beater Toyota Tercel, right? Yeah. Like that's what I told him because my dad was a school teacher and get in this Toyota Tercel, you close the door and it would rain down rust. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to get to the PJ Tour. I'm going to win on the PJ Tour. I'm going to buy you a Lexus. So you're on the range with the lead thinking about that Lexus. Yeah. Yeah. And your mind's going everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been thinking about this since I was 12. So it means more. It's not just any Sunday, right? It yep. means more. And so anyhow, you, I get into Sunday and, and again, they make you wait all day, right? It's like a two o'clock tea time. Yeah. It's not like, hey, yeah, nine o'clock, let's go, ball in air. No, you got to wait all day long. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Okay, I got to have breakfast? Well, I can't eat. My stomach doesn't feel good. Oh, then lunch just passed. Well, I didn't feel like eating there because I felt like throwing up, right? I'm eating my cornflakes one at a time. Like, that's all you can put down, right? Yeah. And so like those are the feelings and emotions you're going through. And so anyway, we, we, get, into, we get into Sunday and... And I and it's like finally you get to the golf course and you start warming up and you're like, okay, I remember how to do this. Yeah. Like this is not foreign. This feels pretty good. But still, like there's still tension. There's still like things are a little bit different, right? It's you not just want the same. this to be over. Yeah. I just want it to be like any other Tuesday with the boys. Yep. Having a few cocktails, enjoying the day. Like that's what I want it to be like. But it is so far from that. Yeah. And so it's figuring out how to deal with those emotions that are like everything feels like it's up here. You feel like you can't slow your heart rate. You feel like you can't like just sort of quiet everything down. You feel like your mind's racing, all that stuff. Um, but the, the experience in, at Sugarloaf in April, May kind of helped me with that, right? It, it helped me to understand like, okay, it's not the end of the world, even if your coach at the time was talking shit about you on CBS, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not going to define you. Right. Yeah. And so, so anyway, I I get out, uh, and we start playing and I can just feel that like my swing doesn't feel the same. I'm not hitting in the center of the face. I feel like my golf swing is short. It feels tense. It feels tight. Doesn't feel like the same rhythm and flow and like, I'm not compressing the ball. It just feels like it's like, it felt like I was so close to like hitting it off the hosel on every iron shot. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, what the fuck just happened compared to the last three days? Yeah. Like I couldn't miss the center of the face the last three days. Then all of a sudden it changed because I got a little tension. I got other things I'm worried about. I'm not in the same flow. And so fighting my golf swing, the whole front nine, but yet my short game and putting were dialed in, right? I hit one green in regulation on the front nine on Sunday. One green. One green in regulation. And you have a seven-shot lead. And I shot even par on the front nine. Oh, my God. So I missed eight greens, got up and down every time. Yep. Right? So we make the turn. I still got a, a seven-shot lead. Make the turn. Uh, miss the green again on 10. Don't get it up and down. So now I've got a, a six-shot lead. <laughs> we go to uh, 11. Maybe, I, maybe it was a five-shot lead. Yeah, it was a five-shot lead. So I think one of the guys had made birdie. A birdie, yeah. Yeah. And so I've got a five-shot lead with eight holes to play. Like, seems pretty insurmountable. Yeah. In the inside, I was like, 
oh my God, I could lose this on this hole. Yeah. Like literally on this hole, it, I could be out of the lead. Yeah. That's how I felt, right? You had zero momentum going to the back nine. Zero <laughs> momentum. I could not find the center of the club face if my life depended on it. Yeah. And at that moment, it felt like my life depended on it, which then fed into like, oh, this means so much more than anything else. And then I couldn't get to freedom. Yeah. I couldn't translate that into freedom. And every golfer feels that, right? I think maybe at that level in that particular moment, maybe I felt it more, like their stakes were raised a little bit higher, but everybody feels that. Your club championship, whatever it might be, whatever it means, 20 bucks from your buddy. Yeah, you feel that, right? To some extent, you feel that. Uh, so anyway, so we go, we go to 11, and it's a par five. I hit a good drive. I was like, oh, you actually flushed that. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> the guy that was closest to, Brian Davis, Hit it in the fairway bunker. Terrible mistake. He's got to like lay up with like a like a seven iron, eight iron, right? He lay, he lays up, and I'm like right in between. I'm like I think I can get it up by the green. There's a big bunker, pins like just next to the bunker. But I'm like if I can get it up past in this like collection area, I can chip back. So anyway, I take driver out. I'm like I'm gonna go driver off the deck, right? Sunday, 11th, 11th hole, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't find the center of the club base. You're going to pull driver <laughs> off the deck. Honestly, like that's been like such a safety yeah. play for me. Like I've done that before. Jimmy will attest to that. We, we played, we played a uh, Stone, Stone Creek. 61. 61. And I never, I never used the, never used the tee. Just deck. off the deck all day long. But anyway, so I felt comfortable with that shot, and I knew it was the right shot if I could pull it off. Yeah. So anyway, I hit it. I flushed it, got it up past, past the bunker. I'm chipping back. I got n- nothing but green to work with. I'm yeah. chipping back to this hole. How about that, Peter Costas? Yeah. <laughs> so actually, Chambly, this is before Chambly was like Chambly. Yeah. He was in the booth doing the – he was the lead analyst that week. And I remember, like, I didn't see it at that time, but obviously afterward he's like, He's like, that was such a bold play, but like that was the proper play. Get it up past the hole, be able to chip back to it. He's like, I can't believe he did it, but like now he's got a huge advantage that he did that, right? Yeah. So anyway, I'm watching Brian Davis. He then has hybrid in after he had laid up, hits hybrid into the bunker, short-sided, he's toast. I'm like, dude, it's game over now. Because I got a five-shot lead on him. I think I had an eight-shot lead on John Rollins and then an 11-shot lead on who, the, whoever the fuck was in fourth place. Yeah. Like, I was blowing the field away, right? Yeah. And so, so I'm like, dude, Davis, is he's hosed. He gets in the bunker. Actually, I, I chipped first from, like, 20, 30 yards. Chipped it to, like, five feet. Yeah. Sweet little shot. Great. Davis gets up, holds his bunker shot. Like, bounce, boom, in. And I was like, oh, my God. God, you gotta be shitting me. Like, is this how this the rest of this back nine is gonna go? Four shot lead. Four shot lead, right? But I got a putt to tie him, but I miss. But it, it was a really nervy putt. It was the first time I was like, oh my, like I have to make this. He just made birdie. So now I got a four shot lead. He tees off first on the next hole, hits a really good shot on this par three. Can't see, it's elevated. You can't see, it's like a hourglass green, pins in the back right. He hits it up. It's probably over the green, but he hit a really good shot. Yeah. I get up, literally nearly hosel it. I probably actually did hosel it. Goes into the native area on the right, probably 40, 50 feet right of the pin. 
we were hitting six irons into this hole. And uh, anyway, it was probably a fraction off the hosel. Get up over to it. Thankfully, I'd gotten lucky. Decent lie. And I'm like, okay, just chip it somewhere on the green. We'll figure it out, right? Chip it to like 20 feet. Brian Davis, it's a nice little chip down to a foot. Uh, I hoop my 20-footer. It's like, okay, let's Here we go. go. Go to the next hole. Uh, Brian Davis hits it to like, he hits driver. It's just like you can hit five iron or driver. He hits driver. Has an easy little wedge shot. Hits it to like eight feet. I hit five iron, nearly almost shank it again. This fairway is like 50 yards wide. I hit it in the right rough, right? Yeah. And this rough is now thick after four days of playing. They haven't cut it. And it's thick like Tahoe grass, right? It's Anyway, can't hardly get club on it. Get it into the front bunker. I've got like a 30-yard bunker shot. Oh God. Brian Davis is in there eight feet. I've got a 30-yard bunker shot. I've got a four-shot lead. And I'm like, this thing could, it could be down to two after this hole. Yeah. Right? And I, I hit the most like incredible bunker shot, like thumped this sand. It felt so good. It came out incredible. Bounce, bounce, spun right next to his, like six feet away. So he's got this eight footer. I got a six footer almost on the same line. Yeah. Right. He gets up, misses his putt, misread it, was fooled by it. I kind of got a little, little look at it. I get up and make mine. Still four shot lead. Yeah. I was like, wow, that really could have gone to two shots in a heartbeat, right? Yeah. And then the momentum really would have been in his favor. <laughs> but he had, never, he had never won on tour either, so he was feeling the same kind of nerves that I was. Yeah. And so we go to, we go to 14, both hit good drives down the fairway. I think I had hit like a hybrid. I was like, I'm just going to like find something to get in the fairway. So I hit a hybrid, got in the fairway. He hit driver. He's got... 110 yards in. Yeah. I've got 160. And so maybe 170, but at elevation, a little bit downwind. I hit, I just remember it was the best swing I made all day long. Hit this beautiful nine iron right at my target, left of the hole. There's this bunker, green kind of slopes. Hit it right there, got to the back edge of the green, came back a little towards the hole, 10 feet. I was like, it was the best shot I hit all day long. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it doesn't matter what happens from here on out. Like, that felt really good. Get me through. Yeah. Brian Davis gets up from 110 yards, and I'm like, dude, he could stuff this thing. This could be three shots, uh, a three-shot lead with, like, four holes to play. Yeah. He gets up. Wind just kind of switches. It was blowing down, just kind of ever so slightly stops where it kind of comes in his face, just a fraction. Poofs it up, plugs in the bunker, makes leaves it in the bunker, Makes double bogey. Double bogey. Double bogey. And I'm like, just get yeah. it up somewhere close. Now all of a sudden I got six shot lead with four to go. Okay. And I'm like, took a little bit of a deep breath. I was like, okay, I think, I think we're all right. But I've got 16, which has water all in front of it, par three. 17, tough driving hole. I'm still not out of the woods yet. It's almost got to be more tough to play with a six-shot lead because you start playing defensive and you're not being aggressive and then all those thoughts come in. Totally. And you're like, just get me through opposed to, I got to go win this tournament. Everybody's thinking you're going to win. Yeah. So if you don't win, you're like, God, well, everybody's thinking I'm going to win. It's not like, it's way easier to play from behind where you get nothing to lose. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to just fire a pin. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Now you're ahead. You hit one bad shot. Well, what was he thinking? Was he being too aggressive? Everybody starts second-guessing you, right? Yeah. You start second-guessing yourself. Should I have just played it to the center of the green? Yeah. So 
anyway, we, we get through, you know, make par on 15. I think I've got a, a, a six-shot lead. Uh, no, Brian Davis made bogey on, so I've got a seven-shot lead. Go to 16, just bailed out, like just made sure I got it on land, right? Yeah. Bailed out, chip, couple putts, was kind of an ugly, ugly hole, but I was like, I just can't make double or triple here, right? <laughs> like you can, if you come up short, you're making, you're making dub for sure in the water. And so I made bogey, back to a six shot lead. The next hole, 17, there's a ton of pine trees, like right up, right, just off the tee. And it makes you kind of want to hit it a little right to left. Not my favorite shot. I got a little quick, pulled it, hit one of these trees. Goes There's a water hazard there, like 150 yards off the tee. Hits the pine tree, drops into the water hazard. I'm like, ooh, all right, now what? Right? Anyway, I then hit like four iron down the fairway, hit, a, hit another <laughs> one to lay up, and then hit a shot uh, onto the back of the green, two-putted, made bogey. And now my lead was five. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I just went bogey, bogey. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm falling apart, right? Like, that's what it feels like on the inside. And so we get to 18, and uh, it's a pretty pretty generous fairway, but the only thing you can't do is miss it right. There's native area, lost ball. So anyway, I get up there, just like low pull, low pull hook down the left, right? Yeah. It somehow like catches the fairway, trickles to the right, and it's fine. Great shot by Parker McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> just like literally got like 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm like, I just, I got to make sure I don't miss it right. That's yeah. the only, only place I can't be. Anyway, I hit my second, my pins in the back right. I hit, I got a gap wedge and I hit this shot and I flushed it and I was like, Hit it onto the green to like 15 feet. And I was like, I think we did it, right? I got a five-shot lead. I'm like, unless this dude like holds out from the fairway. Or <laughs> like four putt. Four putt, <laughs> which could probably still happen, but no, it's not going to happen. So, but those thoughts are going through your head. Yeah. And you're like, why am I having these thoughts? Like, why Why do you think the worst could happen? It's like, but you watch like a Jean Vandeveld, right? And you uh. watch a train wreck and you're like, yeah, that actually could happen. Yeah. Right? You could literally have like a three-shot lead with one hole to play in the British Open and lose. Like yeah. that is possible. And so you just you see these things happen and you you play it in your head. You're like, oh my God, I just hope and that I, that doesn't happen. And I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. And all the mental work that I've done, that shit still creeps in and you're like, I gotta push that out, right? Anyway, I hit it on the green. Take a deep sigh of relief, and I'm like, okay, I did it. Like, there's no way that I'm yeah. not going to do this. And so we get up there. I think Brian Davis made bogey. And I get up, and I and I make the 15 or 18-footer for birdie, my only birdie of the day. <laughs> and I walked off, and I was just – I hit the putt, and I knew it was in halfway there, and I'm walking it off. And I'm like, ah, I was so yeah. fired. Was just like I won by one, right? <laughs> it was like, no, nah, dude, you yeah. won by seven. I needed that birdie. <laughs> it's like that for me. I needed it for me. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so, anyway, that was that was a uh, it was a great moment, but it was like it was not the easiest round of golf. It was probably one of the harder rounds of golf I've ever played. But on, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, you won on the PGA Tour, cool. How many did you win by? A touchdown. 
Oh man, that must have been so easy. Did you just love the walk on Sunday? Yeah. No, it was the worst. I thought I was gonna lose it on. I 18. thought I was gonna lose it on every hole, <laughs> like literally every hole. It was the hardest walk I've ever had. Yeah. But you, but at the end of the day, it's like you won by seven, right? It was like holy cow. I think the most relatable thing is when you say I found something because I'm going through that right now where I found something. And my question to you is, when you find something, are you actually finding something like mechanically or is it right here? Because ask Jimmy, the other day I was like, I'm on the range, I'm like, oh dude, if I just if I just feel like there's a little bit of pressure here, and this is a question I had for you from our lesson is, yeah. get your hand back a little bit, yep. set the club, and I'm just striping it. I'm like, oh, that's all I need to do. But in reality, as you get me in this pressure situation, I can just unfold. But is it? Are you finding something, or are you just finding some like hidden confidence in the back of your brain? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think there's a there's something to be said about finding something technically, where all of a sudden, it feels really good, and then you can deliver it. It feels really good, and then that translates into. Dude, I can't miss. I'm the like, guy. I, I, I am the guy. Yeah. I can't miss. Like, I can't miss the center of the club face. I can do whatever I want to the... You could say, top of my swing, fade. Boom, I, I'll fade it. Yeah. You could say, top of my swing, draw. I'll hit a draw. Like, that's the confidence where you're like, if you got it in the right spot and you feel like it's money, it's on. Yeah. Like that, and, that, and so that feeling of, like, something technical that feels right translates into up here... Dude, I, I'm the greatest of all time, right? And and that's that that it, it, so it's it's both, right? It's both. It's a little bit technical, but it's also like that technical then plays into confidence, belief, uh, and a little bit of delusion of like, dude, I I can I can do whatever I want to the golf ball. Yeah, I can make it go left to right, right to left, high, low, whatever. You tell me what you want me to, I'll hit it. Yeah, but that comes from like you knowing what what your swing is doing. Yeah, you know. If you don't have that technical piece, it's hard to have that confidence piece. Yeah. Right? Hence why people feel so great about their game when they leave a lesson and then sure. give it two rounds, it just falls apart again. Yep. yep. But you, you battle through that round, and now you've won a PGA Tour event. Yep. And how, you're 24 years old? Uh, I was 27. 27. Yep. Okay. You're a young guy on tour. I'm assuming they're writing some pretty big articles about you. Yep. Who's this guy from Hawaii? Um, and was Peter Costa still your coach? <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of a funny story about that. I think, you know, like um, Peter was, again, I, like I said, I'd played for seven weeks in a row. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to just do my thing. So I hadn't talked to or worked with him for like two months, basically. Yeah. I win and he was like, he was like, uh, he had told my sports psychologist, he's like, hey, why isn't Parker, this is like the next day, why hasn't Parker called to thank me yet? And I was like, uh, you, you could reach out and call me too. Like I've inundated with a bunch of calls and texts and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and at that moment, I was kind of like, I think it's probably time to move on. Like I don't feel like we're aligning, like just sort of philosophically, energetically, we're just not really aligning. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I... Uh, with my ball striking that last round, right? I hit five total greens in the final round. So with my ball striking that last round, I was feeling like a little bit like self-conscious of like, 
man, I, I still got to improve in this area. I yeah. still need to be better. My short game, my putting was money, right? It held up under pressure. I made every pressure putt I needed to make. And it always has been since and you've always, been a kid. Since I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I got to be better at ball striking. So part of that was like a little bit psychological of like, man, I don't feel like I'm quite good enough ball striking. I feel like my short game putting, dialed. No problem. Best in the world. I'm good. Yeah. Ball striking, I need some help. How do I get some help? Well, very next week was the PGA Championship. Ran into uh, Sean O'Hare, ran into uh, Hunter Mahan, guys that I had known. And they're like, dude, congrats, awesome, happy for you. Who was with them? Sean Foley, their coach. And I was like, he was like, man, congrats. And I was like, man, I was like, he's got a good vibe. Like, I like this dude. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking of making a change. Like, are you taking on new clients? He's like, yeah, I would love to help you out. I was like, cool, let's, let's have a phone call next week. So I had a week off after the PGA and uh, we chatted on the phone. We talked for like three hours. And I was like, man, this dude's like philosophical, thinks deep. A lot of the stuff that, I'm, that I am diving into, mental stuff, he dives into as well. Cool, we're on the same vibe. And I was like, look, here's the deal. I need to be... I need to be taught in a feel manner. I can't be taught left brain, words, positions. I can't be taught that way. I gotta be, it's gotta be feel, it's gotta be, it's gotta be right brain creative, visual, feel, kinesthetic. And so he's like, yeah, I can, I can teach that way. And the guys he had on tour at the time, Justin Rose, beautiful golf swing. Sean O'Hare, gorgeous golf swing. Hunter Mahan, incredible golf swing, right? Yeah. And I'm like, Man, those are like three of the best swings on tour. Yeah. Um, so like Stephen Ames was the other one. Great golf swing. Yeah. Incredible ball striker, right? And I'm like, this is probably the guy that I need to go with. So anyway, um, I, started, I started working with Foley after, uh, after Peter, after, after the uh, PGA and a week off and started working with Foley at the start of the playoffs, the FedEx Cup playoffs. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, 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 I remember, um, like first couple weeks I was like, Ooh, I'm starting to hit, hit some pretty good shots. Like feels pretty good. All he was doing was kind of like just making sure that like I wasn't moving my head off the ball that I was just sort of staying on it. And I was like, and I flushed it like at Boston the second week I hit it really good. Had a couple three putts late. Uh, to miss the cut by one and that moved me from like literally like uh, in the like high 50 or probably like low 60s to then being like number 71 I'm, I was first guy out to not get into the third playoff event right yeah it was like it went from like I think it went like at the time it went like 125 down to 100 down to 70, down to 30 at the time. There was four playoff events. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I missed by one. I was last guy out, and I was like, mm, man, that hurts. Played a few events in the fall, but I was in, like, Maui to start the year, tournament of champions. Foley was there. We worked, you know, was, and then I was like, I had a couple of times where I was like, I hit, like, 17 greens in, in the round. Looking back, I'm like, oh, okay, but it's also Kapalua greens are massive, right? <laughs> it wasn't that windy. Yeah. But it felt, you know, inflated the ego a little. 
Um, but anyway, things were kind of progressing. I felt like I was getting a little bit better. And then all of a sudden it kind of leveled off and it kind of started going down a little bit. And I was like, man, I feel like I'm not really hitting it better on the course. He's like, well, I, I think that we need to work on your work on your grip because your club face is in the wrong spot at the top and it's having you adjust on the way down. And so right now all you can hit is like little cuts. That's all you can really hit. He's like, if you want to like, I'm like, yeah, I want to get to like top 50 in the world. He's like, you got to be able to work it both ways on command. We got to change your grip a little bit. It's like, all right. So, and I was a person that I never really grew up with a ton of instruction. I was very like, feel, just figure it out. Right? Yeah. But I also never hit it very good. So I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm guessing that his way is, pro he's got these four stallions that, maybe four of the best swingers of the club to ever live. Yeah. Um, I should probably trust his advice. So I started working, changing my grip just a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I'm this, I went from a very strong grip, strong left-hand grip, to then a little weaker, a little weaker. Then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, now I'm not really sure where impact is. Yeah. The second you don't own impact, you're lost. Yeah. Right? You're completely lost. So that's when I started being like, and I started hitting some foul balls that were just way right, way left. And I was like, man, this is, um, I've never, I've never been here before. This is really weird. And so, you know, his sort of mantra was, look, it's going to take 18 months to kind of get you in the right spot. You got to just trust this process for 18 months. You can't just change your grip and be better overnight. Now, fast forward like 10 years, and I was lucky enough to spend a bunch of time with Paul Azinger. Paul's motto is, look, if I give you a piece of advice for a golf swing and it doesn't work in the first 10 minutes, throw it away because it's not right for you. Sean Foley's advice was, hey, 18 months, it's going to take 18 months to get this thing to where it feels comfortable, where you can play with it. I didn't know any better, 27, 28 years old. I didn't know any better. I hadn't had a ton of instruction growing up. I'm like, all right, I trust you. Um, I see your other players. They're all doing well. Um, and he was just about to get Tiger Woods as well. Tiger was just about to come on, come on board. I'm like, this guy's the hottest coach. He knows what he's talking about, right? And he was a great, orator. great with words, great salesman, great, yeah, great orator. And so I was fully bought in. Um, and, I, and, and, and as a person, I'm loyal to a fault. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you to the end of the earth, right? Yep. Like, it doesn't matter if we're going to die. Like, I'm with you. And so, so you kind of pair all those things together of like, hey, it's going to take 18 months. Sean also doesn't want to be like, well, I couldn't help him because it looks bad on him. Um, and then I'm like loyal to a fault. And then all of a sudden you're like 18 months. Look, you got to just trust me. Okay. He's got four other guys that are swinging it. Great. I'm like, I got to trust this guy. He knows what he's talking about. These other guys are striping it. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I went to the ends of the earth for him and what he was believing in. Um, and, and it was just like, man, it just got worse. The more I practiced, the worse it got. Right. Like I just remember, I was like, I remember being at Colonial and it was like, 
I was the first one on the range that morning, practiced, went and played a practice round, came back, worked on it, went and worked out, came back, practiced till it's till the sunset. I was like, fucking VJ Singh's got nothing on me. Yeah. Right? Like, and I just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I couldn't, I was like, dude, I'm working my ass off and I can't seem to get better. What is going on? And so I was just like, man, I just got to keep working. I got to just trust it on the course. I got to keep trusting it better on the course. And I just wasn't. And then kind of the breaking point came in like 2010 at the Wells Fargo. Uh, I think it, the Wells Fargo in, in North Carolina at Quail Hollow. And we were on the seventh hole. I think it was the first day. And I had hit it great on the range. And I was like, you know, Foley was there. Had a really nice warm-up session. Get on the course. And it was like mediocre, mediocre, mediocre. And then we get on the seventh hole, and it's this kind of gentle dogleg right to left, par five. Water up the right-hand side, and but just a gentle dogleg, right? Nothing to be really scared about. And I get up there, and I try to hit this, like, just slight little draw, start in the middle, work to the left side of the fairway, get underneath it, kind of like just don't really understand where the club face is, right? Don't understand where the club face is. High right. Walk up halfway, because I think it's in the water. Walk up halfway, I was playing with Stuart Appleby and Martin Laird. And get up there, and they're like, I think it actually went over the water into that person's backyard, in these massive homes. But on that other side, it's out of bounds. So rather than dropping there and just playing it out, I gotta walk all the way back to the tee. Right. So anyway, rules official comes. I grab, you know, my caddy grabs my driver and a sleeve of balls. Walk. He gives us a ride back to the tee. He leaves. The, he leaves the bag there. Gives us a ride back to the tee. We get back to the tee box, and it was Davis Love, Stuart Sink, and Ryuji Mata standing on the tee waiting. Right, because we walked all the way up there. It's a par five. That you were waiting anyway, and then we'd come all the way back. So I get up there, tee another ball up, try to hit this little draw like I'd been hitting on the range. Same shot. Out to the right, high out to the right. Again, <laughs> over the water into the person's backyard. I was like, I felt like tin cup. I was like, give me another ball. Teed it up, same shot. Give me another ball. Teed it up, same shot. Give me another ball. Teed it up, finally hit it, but like overdid it into the left rough. I ended up making like a 13 on the hole, right? And Foley was walking around watching. And I'm like, surely like you see that something's disconnecting from like the range to the course, right? And so I think I shot something like 85 or 88 or something absurd, right? Um, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, like the, I just remember the guy holding the standard bearers like, <laughs> What are you? I was like, just don't put anything there. <laughs> he left it blank the whole day. I was like, ah, that's probably the right thing to do. Um, and so, but that was like one of those moments where you're like, I've never experienced anything like that. Like it was, it was such a shock to the system. Um, but I came out the next day and I played, right? But it was like, uh, I didn't quit because I wasn't injured. I didn't withdraw. I was like, no, I'm going to play. Like I need to figure this out. 
That's what golf is. Yeah. And, um, but I think the disappointing thing, I think, for me is that, like, Foley never went to the spot of, like, being like, dude, I just don't think what I'm giving you is is resonating with you. Let's go get a second opinion. Let's go get a third opinion. I'm in this with you, right? Like, we're in this together. I want the but best for you. I want the best for you. Let's go, let's go see if some other people have ideas that may jive with what your matchups are, are saying on the golf course, uh, what your golf swing matchups are saying. And so he never really did that. And I think that was maybe the most like disappointing part of it was like, man, like I was ride or die with you to the end. Like I knew like I'm in it with you all the way. I believe in you. Like, let's, let's do this together. But he couldn't really get his ego out of the way to be like, Hey, let's go see Butch. Like, let's just go spend two hours with Butch, see if he can help you out. Let's go spend two hours with Hank Haney. Let's go spend two hours, whatever. Like, let's, let's go do this together. Let's just get a second opinion. Let's, let's work this out together. It was just like, hey, just hang, 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 hang with me, hang with me, hang with me. Then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I just finished 210th on the money list. I just lost my card. Now what? I, sorry, man, I, I can't help you. I, I got to help my guys on tour. It was like, shit, I thought we were in this together. No? Like, you're just, we're, you're peace out? Well, now I signed Tiger, and I got to work with Tiger, and it's way more. I'm like, man, I thought we were like boys, and we were ride or die to, all the way. And it was like, I think that was the hardest part, was like, just kind of like, man, I was, I was in it. Like, I, you told me it was going to be 18 months, and I'm in it. Like, let's go. And then all of a sudden the 18 months came and went. And then I'm like, I still can't get it around on the golf course. Let's, how do we figure this out? And it was like, he couldn't put his ego aside to then go through it and be like, hey, let's figure this out together. And I, you know, I mean, the blame also ultimately lies with me of, hey, I want to, I want to, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth with you. Like, I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in what you're teaching. Um, I should have at some point been like, look, this needs to work on the golf course. Like at the end of the day, all that matters is score. I got to get it in the hole less than everybody else. And if it's not working, I should have pulled the plug earlier. But I was, I was naive. I was believing in what he was saying. Um, and I don't think he was doing anything maliciously, but it was just like, at the time, he was giving me the best that he had. Um, I just sort of maybe wished that he would have put his ego just aside a little bit and said, hey, let's go, let's go get a few different opinions. This doesn't seem to be clicking for you. Let's get a few different opinions and see where that goes. What I can't, what I can't understand from that situation is, um, from, from the golf, golf teaching perspective is, you just won on the PGA Tour. How many guys in the world can say they've won on the PGA Tour? It's a very, very right. small club. To walk up to someone and say, oh, Parker, well, we got to do this. It's going to be an 18-month process. To me, the analogy I have is Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl. Hey, Tom, you won the Super Bowl, <laughs> but if we want to win six Super Bowls, we need to work on this arm angle. You're not that good. Yeah. And that's something I just, I, I can't get over. It should be, hey, I'm, I'm holding a diamond here. Let's, 
let's let's treat them like a diamond yeah. opposed to give me 18 months. Yeah. I, you're not a you're not a, a hit and giggle guy. <laughs> like that's what my mom would get if she's getting a lesson. Give me 18 months. 18 months. A lot happens in 18 months. I got two kids now, partner. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. Wait. That 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 really drives me wild. And from what you were going through from your whole golf career was I have the talent. Yep. I know how to hit the golf club. Let me figure figure out the mental side. Yep. And then you're thrown into this where maybe I don't have the golf thing. Now I don't even have the mental thing. Yep. And he's not there. I mean, and I was, and I was. I think I was vulnerable emotionally of like where I thought of my golf game. I was like, mental game, A plus, putting, A plus, chipping, short game around the greens, A plus. But then all of a sudden, ball striking. I was like, I'm kind of like a C, maybe C plus, maybe C minus, kind of right in that range. Feeling vulnerable, not quite as like secure. Where I, where I could tell a teacher, dude, take a hike. I'm, I, I know I'm good. It was all, I was always sort of a little bit vulnerable that way, a little bit insecure that way. And I had a lead on the Corn Ferry Tour, a six-shot lead that I lost. Ball striking fell apart. Atlanta had that, had that lead all of a sudden. All of a sudden, maybe ball striking kind of fell apart just a little bit the last few holes. Had a lead in Reno ball striking fell apart. So I've got sort of this pattern now of like, man, my ball striking falls apart when I get nervous. And so now all of a sudden I'm sort of a little bit vulnerable. Even though I won on the PGA Tour, I'm a little bit vulnerable. I think I'm not quite good enough ball striking wise. I need to get better. I need somebody to help me get better. That's where my sort of mentality was. So I was like, Sean Foley, help me. Help me get better. Help, help my, if you can help my ball striking get better, Dude, I'm gonna. I'm already like hundredth in the world. If you can help my ball strike and get better, I can be fiftieth in the world. That was my thought, right? And so me being a little bit vulnerable, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna. Let's go. I'm gonna be your project. Let's let's go. Like I know I got a couple years. Um, let's 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 see if we can ride to the top. And so rather than like if I was a little bit more secure and confident in what I was about ball striking wise, I would have said like. Give me this much. Just tweak a little bit. I know I'm fucking good. Just tweak me a little bit. That's all I need. Just tweak me a little bit. Get me a little bit better. But I wasn't quite as confident ball striking wise because I had fallen apart, fallen apart, fallen apart in my head, right? I've been like, okay, fell apart, fell apart, fell apart. And so, but short game was good. Putting was good. Short game was good. Putting was good. Short game was good. Putting was good. So I'm like, it's not mental, right? It's not like a mental thing. It's got to be a technical thing. Yeah. Give me a little, like, I need some technical help to get this, to write this ship, yep. ball striking wise. And that's where I came from. That's why I was like, I'm buying in. I'm all in. Let's go. Yeah. And that, that, that's where I'm like, looking back, I would have been like, just this much. All I want is this much. I know I'm there. Just give me this much. Tweak me this much. Don't touch anything else. So would you say there's a disconnect between coach and player just throughout golf in the sense that, you know, Sean Foley probably looked at you and said, oh, here's my project, you know, opposed to you're saying, let's go that inch with me. Yeah. And you're thinking, let's, let's do this together. And he's thinking, here's my project. Yeah. And projects fail all the time. Is, is, is that still present in golf? I think, yeah, I mean, you look at, 
you look at golf, man, and you look at golf instruction, there's, there's way more guys that have been ruined by golf instruction than have been created by good golf instruction, right? Ian Baker Finch, Duvall, there's a number of guys, um, Michael Campbell, like a number of guys that have been like at the top of the ladder, gone to chase something, and then all of a sudden, where are they, right? Um, so there, there's a lot more guys that have been ruined by poor golf instruction than have been like made into a superstar by great golf instruction, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you spent a lot of time with Paul Azinger, didn't you? And can you talk about that relationship maybe and how that differed from Sean Foley? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Zinger's a very like um, old school kind of a guy. Um, no nonsense, no BS. Um, so we had kind of, we've known each other since I was like probably 16 years old. He'd come over to Hawaii like a week, a week before the Sony. He'd go fishing. We'd, he was friends with the head pro at Wileye. So we'd get to play nine holes together when I was like 16. And then I qualified for the Sony. We played nine holes together when I was 20. Qualified again. And when I was like 24, 25, we played nine holes again together. So like I'd kind of known him a bit. And then after the whole like Sean Foley thing, and then two more years of just like pure struggle, trying to play mini tour stuff and shooting 75, 76 and like, making like six, six birdies and shooting like 75 because I had like four out of bounds balls, right? I'm like, man, this is brutal. I'm, I, I, I think I'm going to give up the game. I think I'm done. And uh, I happened to connect with Paul through that same head pro. And we sat there and had lunch. And I remember I was like just in tears. I was like, I think I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the game. And he's like, dude, come hang with me in Florida. Come like, come spend spend a week with me. Just hang out with me. I'll declutter your brain. We'll get you back to like the player that you were. I was like, all right, I got nothing to lose. I'm shooting 75 anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, and so anyway, I go back to hang with him and he was like, your brain is so cluttered with like swing thought after swing thought. He's like, let's just declutter your brain. Let's just like push that, push all that stuff out. Let's get you back to being an athlete, get you back to being just your true natural self. It's like, all right, <laughs> you want to do that? Yeah. So it was, you know, like part of the, uh, the, the interesting part about like hanging out with him, like when we first started was like, when I went to his house, I'd land in Tampa and I drive an hour to his house in a rental car. I get to his house and he's got, he's got this great house on Tampa Bay, um, in Bradenton, Florida. And it's, it's a, it's an amazing place. And in his garage, he's got 12 motorcycles, <laughs> does not own a car, not one car. Yeah. Right. When I first showed up there, I'm like, you must keep your clubs at the course like, then. <laughs> Where do you put your clubs? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, I got a set over at concession and a set over at Gator <laughs> Creek. I was like, all right. Are they the same set? No, nah, they're completely different. <laughs> so he kind of checked out of like playing golf, right? Like he had, you know, had a, such an amazing career, but like right at the height of his career, he had gotten to like second or third in the world, in the world rankings, right? Right behind like Norman and Seve. And he was like, the, he was like the American guy, yeah. right? And 
as, as soon as he gets there, he was he got invited to play in uh, the Skins game. It was like Arnold Palmer, Norman, Jack Nicholas, and Zinger. Right? It was like he was the guy. Right? He was like in that foursome. Yeah. And so it was that week. I think it was like ninety two, ninety three, something like that, where he was like. He's like, dude, I, the previous year, he's like, I had had 11 top threes. I'm like, how insane is that, right? On tour. And so he was coming off this amazing year. He gets there and he's like, man, I just, I'm having some pain in my shoulder. I can't swing, right? So he goes and he gets like an ultrasound on it or a, a, a MRI on it. And they find like this black mass on his shoulder. What the hell? Anyway, he plays the skins game. He goes to see another doc, and the doc's like, "I think you got a cancer, like in in your shoulder." So he got cancer basically, like at the height of his career. He was just kind of coming into his own, and so gets this cancer, and it takes a lot out of him. A couple of years before he like really comes back and plays on tour again, and about four or five years later ends up winning back in at the Sony in 2000. And, um, and so that was, I think that was his only victory after the whole cancer thing. But after that, it was kind of like, I think he sort of started to realize why, like he played with a chip on his shoulder. Like, and I know that sounds bad with literally having cancer in your shoulder, but like he played the game with a chip on his shoulder, like trying to prove people wrong. He always sort of grew up with that mentality of like, yeah, watch me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And so I think every four footer he had, it was like, there was so much like desire and like fire behind each four footer he was gonna make. That's how he played the game. Similar to like a Corey Pavin, very like fiery, like every putt meant the world to them, right? So they played with that passion and I think he sort of started, he realized after cancer and whatnot, and he was just like, why do I, why do I want to do this? Why do I want to grind? Why do I want to attach myself so much to this four-footer? Like, I just want to be happy. Like, yep. that's it. I want to be happy. So he didn't play one event on the Champions Tour. Like, just has no desire, right? And so, anyhow, that's sort of where, sort he doesn't have golf clubs that he's not like, Hey, I'm pining to play golf. Yeah. He's just like, I played golf because I wanted to beat every other dude out there. That's why he wanted to play golf. He didn't play golf for shits and giggles. He played golf because he wanted to look you in the face, rip your heart out, stomp on your neck. That's why he wanted to play golf. That's why he was so great. Right. And so once, once he sort of ventured into like, I want to be happy. Like, I don't, I don't need to feel like I want to step on your throat. Maybe that was a different energy for him. Like, I think he wanted to step into the energy of like, yeah, I want to be happy. I want to enjoy life. I want to laugh and like have fun. Golf wasn't providing that for him. So I think he sort of stepped away a bit and he took time off. But when I first showed up, like to his house, he had 12 motorcycles, <laughs> like, no car, no golf clubs. Right. It was just like, hey, I got a set here and a set there. What are they? I have no idea. It was clubs from like 15 years ago. Yeah. He had these old like McGregor like blades, like this Callaway driver that was like kind of still square. He had one of those like Nike drivers. I was like, what are you playing with? Yeah. He's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're like, 
And I was like, and it was wow. like you're stepping into your old self with the wood wood. You're yeah. stepping back into that confident <laughs> world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we just sort of went through these like we so he wouldn't ride on his motorcycle out to the golf course and it was a probably a 30 to 40 minute drive. And so he's sitting there in my rental car. <laughs> Paul Azinger sitting there in my rental car and we're driving out to the golf course like to Concession or Gator Creek and we're driving out there. And we just start talking and like, I'm asking him questions and I'm like a sponge, right? I'm just like, dude, tell me about this. Or like, I feel like, you know, I get anxious or nervous or this feels weird. And, and he would just go on and we would just have these great conversations. And that was like some of the best learning for me was just having these conversations to the course and then home. We play golf, right? And there wasn't a ton of like, Hey, get it, get the club in this position or that position. There wasn't a ton of that. It was more like the ride to it and then the ride home. And we'd talk about all kinds of things on the way there, on the way back. Maybe there's a couple things, hey, how about that shot on this hole? Or what about that? But it was it was more broad. It was more like like it really felt like, you know, like that Tuesdays with Maury. It felt like like you were sitting there, like he was such a he comes off like a little bit. Um, as like country, you know, he grew up in Florida, um, but he's one of the, he's one of the smartest guys that I've ever been around and like golf IQ wise. Like I actually asked Phil Mickelson, I was like, I was having dinner with Phil. I was like, I was like, Hey, I've been spending a lot of time with, with Zinger. I was like, what, what's your, what's your take on Zinger? He's like top three golf IQ of all time. And I was like, no shit. I, I would have thought you were you would have ranked yourself like one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. But like for Phil to say like, dude, Zinger's like top three golf IQ that's of all time. It was like that's a big statement. And so yeah, we just had like these amazing like chats like to the course, coming back, stopping at these like you know McDonald's to grab like you know he's like he's like hey pull it like I'm driving right yeah and and he's just sitting there in the passenger he's like hey pull into this McDonald's like. Let's, let's grab a Frosty, right? And you're like, or like whatever the ice cream cone is, right? And he's like, let's grab. And so we'd pull into these McDonald's and grab these Frosties or these little ice cream cones. And like, he was like a kid, like he was so happy, right? And he, he was messing with the lady and like, you know, <laughs> what do you call these things? A McFlurry, a, Mc, a, a McSunday? What do you call these things? But, you know, he's just one of the, one of the greatest guys. And I think I, like I just learned so much from being around him, but he helped declutter my brain. And I think one of the, one of the main things that like we talked about, he's like, he's like, all right, Parker, he's like, we would stand on a range and he'd be like, what is the shot that you hate? What is the shot that gets you in the most trouble? I was like, the one that goes way right. He's like, okay, why? Why does that one go way right? Why do you think that goes way right? I was like, cause I'm afraid of the one that goes left. He's like, absolutely. You're afraid of the one that goes dead left, so you go bail out and go way right. I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. He's like, okay, well, let's take away the fear of left. If we can take away the fear of left, right will disappear. I was like, all right, that makes sense. How do we do that? Nothing technical. Nothing technical. I was like, how do we do that? He's like, all right, see your target out there, like that pin? I was like, yeah, he's like, all right, let's build a wall in your mind five five to eight feet left of that target like build it brick by brick all the way up build that wall all the way to up to infinity right 
He's like, all right. He's like, take as long as you want, but you better build that wall. So anyway, I stood there on the range, looking, start building this wall all the way up. All right, I got it. I got it, Zing. He's like, all right, what's it look like? I was like, well, it's cinder block. He's like, all right, what color is it? I was like, it's gray. He's like, can you feel it? I was like, yeah, I can feel it. He's like, all right, how high up does it go? I was like, it goes all the way up, all the way to infinity. And he just looked me square in the eye. He's like, this is the last shot you ever get to hit in your entire life. Would you ever miss it left of that wall? I was like, no. He's like, okay, you get one shot. Hit it up against that wall. Don't let it go left of that wall. Just see that wall, have this ball kiss right up against that wall, finish on the flat. I get up there, this thing just starts against the wall, almost kisses it, lands right on the flag. We went through my entire bag and went sand wedge, pitching wedge, eight iron, six iron, four iron, three wood, driver, all the way up. 21 out of 23 shots, just dead perfect. But every time he made me like build a wall, we changed targets every time. Made me build a wall in my mind to get so clear on what we were doing and made me feel it, see the color, like literally like see the whole thing. And he challenged me on every shot. Like this is the last shot you ever get to hit in your life. Did you ever miss it left of that wall? No. Well, make a swing that you can feel like it's going to cut, go right up next to that wall and just no bailing out. If you bail out, it doesn't count. So 21 out of 23, right on, right on my target. The other two was like 15 feet right of it. Not like 50, 100 feet right of it, but like 15 feet right of it. I was like, holy cow. Like that's zero technical. Zero and, technical. And the takeaway from that, from sounds like your experience with him is there's no ego. There, everybody's vulnerable. Yep. He's in your rental car, stopping at McDonald's, <laughs> talking about what are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. Opposed to, hey, I got 30 minutes with you, Parker. I got, I got Justin Rose calling me real quick. Yep. Let's, get, let's get to the top. Yep. And that takes me to the, ne- to, to the next question is um, something that I admire about your story is I'm sure I can't fathom how many people told you to give it up, move on, move on with life. But mm-hmm. this is your life. Right. And it, 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 everyone has their own, their own journey, if you want to call it that. Um, and you've learned, you've, I can't imagine what you've learned over that process. And now you've, you've, you've found the second chapter as a coach and shit, I went to you (laughs) and I thought I was a pretty good golfer. I thought I had a pretty good short game and Jimmy will tell you, I was like, I'll get up and down from anywhere. Moment you get me behind a sand trap. I'm, I'm, I'm clueless. And there's so many things I didn't know. And I went and met with you and it changed my game, changed my perspective. And coming from someone like yourself, who's been through so much, and now you're this coach, I, it, it's tough to even ask you questions because you've used all of these failures, these um, relationships, these experiences to become who you are mm-hmm. now as the short game chef. Yeah. Um, what is that? Like, where are you in, in the mental space as a coach? Because you come off, and obviously you should, as, I mean, you are the, be- you are the short game guy. Like, and like you said through your stories, 
you you struggle with ball striking. Short game never left you. Yep. Yeah. And and I think that was one of the things that I felt like I did well was I said, Sean, Foley, don't touch my short game, don't touch my putting. I don't want to know I don't even want to step foot in those areas with you. I'm confident in those areas. Let me let me be. Um but I, I will say like I learned a ton from Paul um on short game, on different concepts. He took he showed me how to become, how to go from a leading edge player to a back edge player. So how to go from uh, hitting these low spinners to now hitting like using the bounce, hitting these like a little bit more floaty spinners. And so I learned a, a ton from Zinger on on that, which uh, to me it was like, man, what a, I mean, one of the best bunker players of all time. Never used more than like 56 degrees aloft but still was able to hit shots here, here, whatever, can yeah. do anything. How many bunker shots did that guy hold, right? Hold a bunker shot to win the Memorial. Hold a bunker shot on 18 uh, to have a match at the Ryder Cup, yeah. right? Like, the dudes, the dudes hold some bunker shots when it counted, yeah. right? Um, and so to, like, learn from someone like him, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like, I knew how my short game has always been really good. But like he took it to like the next level. And then once I started learning from him, I was like, man, I wonder if I could test some of these theories with like force plates, track man, using a vest, like all these things of like seeing how the body moves, weight distribution, angle of attack, spin rates, launch angle, all that stuff. I'm like, let me test some of these theories that Zinger has, some of these theories that I've adopted and maybe tweaked a little bit. Let's see how they hold up with science, right? And I'm like, all of them held up and I'm like, all my theories have held up under like what science, like the, the scientific data I can get on, in return. I'm like, I think I've got something here because I can come at it from a playing point of view, a player's point of view, and understand how to communicate in a way that's not gonna uh, get somebody too far off, right? I take the mentality that Zinger has. It's like, even for you, I'm like, if I can't get you, if, if you're not better in the first 10 shots, I'm giving you the wrong information. Yeah. Literally, I'm giving you the wrong information for you. Yeah. Because you're physically gifted enough to be able to figure it out. If I'm giving you the right information, it'll click pretty quick. Yeah. And so I take that mentality. It's not like I don't, I don't ever tell somebody with a lesson. I'm like, I don't ever say, look, go home, work on this, come back and, and have another lesson. It's like, it's a terrible business model. Because I never, like, I'm like, I'll fix you before you leave. Yeah. Like, you will get better before you leave. But the cool thing is, like, I'm always sending people home, and they're always, like, very satisfied. They're better. Like, they hit bunker shots that they've never hit in their life. They're hitting pitch shots the way they've never hit in their life. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm doing something right, right? Like, I'm making people better immediately. Immediately they're better. And I, I, go, I go to, like, people with the chipping yips. I mean, like, 12 people that I've helped come out of the chipping yips, right? <laughs> Maybe not fully. Yeah. But, like, they're out of the chipping yips. They're not quite as, they're not, like, nearly as bad as, like, literally flinching on every shot. But they're out of the chipping yips, right? And so 
to me, I'm like, there's some gratification in that. And, and I think the things that I've learned in the past with coaches I've had before and then learning from Paul, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I know how to make people better immediately, right? And yep. give them the right information and communicate it in a way that makes sense to that person. Yep. And if I don't communicate it properly, then I move to plan B. I'm going to say the same thing, but in maybe a different way, or I'm going to show it to you, or maybe you're like a feel guy. So I'm going to move you in a certain way, or maybe, uh, you like to watch it. Maybe you're a visual guy. So I'm going to demonstrate it for you. So I do, but I'll say the same thing basically in like five, six different ways, but maybe I'm just, I'll do it in, in different styles so that one might click with you. Right. Yep. But again, if I, if I'm not, making you better in the first like 30 minutes, I'm not doing the right job. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not doing my job. And so that's sort of my motto. Like that's what I'm, I'm like, I'll stay with you until, until we're actually hitting good shots. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I find poetic about what, what you've gotten to is instead of taking this statistics approach first, you said, let's take the feel and it sounds like zinger too. take the feel and then let's test it with the science. Yep. And then that, let's validate it. Not let's take the statistics and throw it on somebody. Yeah. And that's something that like I've told Jimmy, Jimmy trying to give me lessons and with you too. I remember the first lesson you had, you go feel like there's a wall in front of your knees cause you're dipping like that. Yep. And all I think is knees, boom, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, it's an, it's an all sports. It's like baseball. You know, I used to work in baseball and they, they talk about statistics over feel. And if you actually talk to the guys who are successful, it's gut guys, it's feel guys. Um, so I, I, I always, I always think about that, but so, I mean, what, what, before we get on to your, the club that you've created, I mean, as a coach, okay, as a coach, it's tough, especially in golf to, to, to feel vindicated to feel like I have some validation of, you know, I'm, I'm teaching somebody. You, one of your, one of your players just won the women's British Open. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, pretty much. Not many people can say they won a, won a PGA Tour event, right. let alone been a coach for short game yeah. of a, a major championship yeah. winner. So tell me how that feels and that whole process. Um, well, I think like, just to maybe back up just a second, like just getting into the whole coaching thing, because I think there's a somewhat of an interesting story there where uh, I think a friend of all, sort of all of ours, this caddy, Doug, who caddied for me and kind of friends with all of us, he's like, dude, your short game's sick. you got to post some videos on Instagram and like tell people how to do it. Like, I think there's a market there for it. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is Instagram? Yeah. I'm not on it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys all call me dad, right? Like, yeah. I'm not on Instagram. <laughs> Um, I think I had like my agent set up Twitter 10 years ago. Like, and I'm like, I, whatever, like I'm on Twitter, but I'm not like super active, but all of a sudden he's like, dude, let's, I'll take some videos. Jimmy took a few videos. Like, let's put some on Instagram and like, let's, and so anyway, I, I, you know, like one of the things I'm good at is like being creative. And so I was like, shit, I'm going to call myself the short game chef and like give everybody recipes as to like how to hit these shots around the green. And I mean, I just came up with that out of nowhere, probably after a couple of tequilas, but I'm like, short game chef. Come home that night, like I was like, 
you know, wife is like, hey, you know, what'd you do today or whatever? I was like, let's go. I set up this Instagram account. I took like a dozen videos, like call myself the short game chef. She literally started crying. She was like, you're a PGA Tour winner and now you're calling yourself the short game chef? What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I thought it was a kind of a good idea. I don't know. I've been playing shitty. Uh, kind of seems like an interesting idea. I feel like it's kind of cool. Like, I feel like there could be some traction there. And so, anyway, literally two days later after Doug and Jimmy had helped me sort of like post this thing on Instagram, like posted like a dozen videos of like little 50 second how to's. And I get a phone call from Kevin Streelman, ranked 93rd in the world. He's like, hey, I see you've been doing some uh, short game teaching. Do you think you could spend a couple hours with me? I'm like, yeah, I guess I could. I don't know. I haven't really, I've just been putting these videos out. I haven't really taught anybody. So my first paid lesson was to the guy ranked 93rd in the world, right? First paid short game lesson. That's a big step. That's a big, yeah, (laughs) big step. So anyway, I spent a couple hours with him. He gets better. He's like, hey, can we spend a couple hours next week? Sure. Spend a couple hours next week. He's like, I like what you're doing. Like, this is like this jives. Can I hire you full time? I don't even know what that looks like. What does that look like? Well, I'll pay you X and we'll do this and we'll do that. Okay, sounds good. I'm in. And so that's sort of how this sort of teaching thing like came into fruition, right? It was like literally that random where he... Pretty organic. Very organic, right? And then, um, so we worked together. We had a great run for about seven months. He played awesome golf and it was, it was really fun to, um, to be a part of that. Um, had a couple of like maybe a third and a second place finish. I remember that stint where he had like two months where he was like one of the top 10 golfers in the world. Was I was like, where it, yeah. is he coming from? And Jimmy's crushing like, that's, it. that's Parker's guy. Yeah. yeah. Crushing it. Um, and just to have like a small little part in that was really cool. Like just to feel like, yeah, I'm invested in it. Like we spent hours upon hours grinding and figuring out his putting, his routine, short game, bunker, all that stuff, figuring all that out. Like to just have a small part in that was like really cool. Um, and then sort of fast forward a couple of months after we had started, met up with Anna Nordquist. We were at, we have the same banker and we were at his like annual Christmas dinner uh, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago. And so uh, we meet up and he's like, I, my banker's like, I gotta get you with Anna. She needs some, she need that's the one part of her game that she's lacking confidence and I want you to help her with it. I was like, sounds great. So her husband kind of runs a little bit of interference or fiance at the time runs a little interference. He's like, he's like, I don't want it to, I don't want it to be called a lesson. Cause I, I'm, I'm wanting to protect her like state of her mental state. Right. Like I, it's very like, as a golfer, like I realize that, like it's you, you want to protect your it's mental precious. state. Yeah. It's precious. And so like, I appreciated like what he was doing. I was like, I was like, cool, that's fine. He's like, I don't want to call it a lesson. Will you just meet us out at Silverleaf? Let's play nine holes together. Cool. Sounds great. Um, so we meet at Silverleaf where she's like, Oh, what have you been doing? Whatever. I was like, Oh, I've been kind of doing a little short game teaching and 
helping Kevin Strillman and a couple other amateurs and a couple mini tour players. And she's like, oh, she's like, would you take a look at what I'm doing? I was like, this is like on the first hole. I was like, sure. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> she was down, uh, actually it was on the second hole. It was that little gully on the left there down in the low, yeah. right? Where you gotta go up, tight lie. She's like, we, we look at what I'm doing. Anyway, so she gets, she gets there, stances wide, a lot of hinge, hits, the, hits a couple of shots that weren't great. And she's like, what do you think? I was like, I got a couple of suggestions. Boom, we kind of work on it the next few holes. And she's like, this is a lot better. It's way, she's like, I didn't really have a plan before. Like, I, I feel like this, I feel like I can feel the bottom again. And like, this is a lot better. And I was like, cool. She's like, can we work again next week? I was like, sure. Anyhow, we've been working for two years now, right? Two years of like, probably like every week she's home, we spend a couple hours. I've always offered like, hey, do you want me to come on the road, help you on the road? She's like, no, I'm independent. I like doing it on my own. I was like, awesome. You're kind of a perfect client for me. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, hey, I'll go with you. I'll pay my own way. I'll go to the US Open. I'll help you, whatever, whatever you need. Because we've just become like great friends and I just want the best for her. I want to help her. And uh, she's like, no, I'm good. I just want, I just want help when I'm at home. I'm independent on the road. So I was like, cool. So we worked together for a couple of years. She gets close a couple of times to winning. I was like, man, that was, that was cool. I know she's close. I know she's there. And she was on like a, I think it was like her ninth week out of 10 in a row on the road playing. And we had texted videos, texted, texted a few like, hey, how's it feeling? Anyway, it just sort of all clicks and and she's in the final group at the Women's British Open. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy, right? Like, <laughs> is this really gonna happen? Is she really gonna win a, another major, right? She'd won a couple of majors already, but it's like, she'd kind of fallen off. And when we started, she was ranked like 90th or 100th in the world. And it was the lowest ranking she'd ever been. And she was just like, you know, I have no confidence around the greens. Like it's holding me back. And if I miss a green, anxiety comes and I, and I'm, I struggle. And so it, it always throws off every round I have. And so if I can just get some confidence, I'll be in a good spot. So anyway, we work, we work, we work. She's in the final round of the British. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's going to, this is going to happen. And so like, I'm watching it on my iPad. I was going to this outing and I'm in, in the airplane and I'm watching on my iPad. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and it cut out after like the 15th hole. I'm like, <laughs> football came on. I'm like, no, <laughs> can't happen. We land, I run to like the nearest TV and she's on like 17 green. And I'm like, okay, she hit the green, whatever. She gets 18. She hits it on the green and two. The other girl hits it in the bunker. The other girl knifes it over the green. And I'm like, wow, this is like, how poetic, right? They were tied, knifes it over the green. I'm like, Anna, two putts, she wins. And it was amazing. Like, it was like tears in my eyes. And I'm like, not only like a client, but like we become like great friends, right? Um, and so just really like, I was like, wow, I didn't realize that would, it would mean that much like for her to do it. Like, it was really cool. Um, even now, like, I feel like so emotionally attached to it. I was like, we put in a lot of time and effort. It was really cool. Um, and so to see like, you know, my, like I was so attached to like 
winning on the PGA Tour, that meant so much to me. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this, I'm in like this different lane. Now like my client, my friend, she's about to win a major. That means so much to me, like means much to me, but it means, but because I'm doing it, like it means so much to her and I know how much time and effort she's put into it. But I've been a small part in that. And it was like, well, it was really cool. And then, um, yeah, the celebration was amazing. And then her going on Golf Channel a couple days later and saying like, like waxing poetic for like a minute and a half of like how much our work has meant to her um, and that how much confidence she's derived from our work is like, holy cow, like it meant a lot to her, you know? Um, so yeah, like something like that, it's like, you're just like, what in the, like, what? what did, what, where did this turn come, right? Like this turn in life, like from where did it come from? Coming home and your wife laughing at you that you're the short game chef <laughs> yeah. to, to this, to you're on the <laughs> golf channel talking about it. And I think just, I don't want to speak for you, but hearing all of this, talking about being a coach, but more importantly, being the coach, it's not about you. It's about them yep. and having that relationship and having the no ego, I care about you first yep. and want the best for you is what ultimately makes a confident player. Yep. I know my I know my coach, she's sitting on the 17th tee box knowing if I miss the screen, I, I know I got Parker up there with me. Yep. And I don't know, is, is that fair to say? Like, yeah, it's fair to say. I, I'm just, I'm speaking for you because hearing your whole story, you know, you've learned a lot through your all, yep. you know, everything. And now you're at this point where in my opinion, and I know there's a lot of people who say the same thing. I don't know who else I'd go to see if I yep. need some short game helps. Yeah, totally. Helps out. Yeah, and I think like, you know, I feel like even like putting my own ego aside, I'm like, you know, Anna's asked me for help with like putting and stuff. And it's like, hey, I'll give you what I can. But at the same time, if it's not feeling right, like go see somebody else. Like let, let's go go ask other opinions. And so she did, right? I'm like, I can help you with some routine stuff. I'm like, your technique looks really good. Yeah. But if you feel like your technique's off, I'm not seeing anything that's off. So go see somebody else, right? And so, but short game wise, she's never varied. She's just like, you're my guy. And like, this is, it's gotten better and better and I've gotten more and more confidence. And so just the other day I looked, I'm like, holy cow, she's like 15th in the world. All of a sudden she's gone from like almost a hundredth to 15th in the world. And it was like, that doesn't yeah. happen by like me giving her bad information, right? Like, yeah. It's like there's, there's a part and short game's not everything, right? It's a component in her entire like piece of pie, right? It's one, it's one component. But that was the component that for her, she was feeling like was missing. And so she would ball strike it good. She'd miss like three greens, make two bogeys and a double missing those greens. You can't be 16th in the world by doing that, right? You got to get those up and down to maintain, to keep that round going. And so as small as short game is, it still becomes a big piece of the pie because it's like it builds momentum, right? It keeps the momentum going. You miss a green, you get it up and down, keeps the momentum going. You don't make, you make three bogeys for an entire week versus making three a day, yep. right? Making 12 bogeys. That's a huge difference. That's nine shot difference. That's the difference in being 100th in the world or 15th in the world. Like it's, it, it becomes a big thing. And so like, 
even though I've in this niche of like being a short game guru, being the short game chef, I feel like even though it's a small niche, the further people are hitting it, the more short shots they get. You, we all know golf. Golf is about momentum. It's about maintaining the momentum of a round. You miss a green, you don't get it up and down, deflated, right? You get it up and down, boom, then you birdie the next hole, your round is going, yeah. right? And so as, as small of a niche as short game is, it, as you play golf more and more and more, you realize, oh my God, short game's like, it means a lot to like the momentum of a round. In my opinion, it means everything. If you, Tiger Woods' dad said, when I started, got Tiger Woods into the game, let's start from the hole out. Yeah. It's all, that's the most important part. Yeah. And I can speak to that. I've, I've had those rounds where, you know, you hit two, you, you hit two, two greens and you get up and down from every, everywhere and you shoot better than everyone you're playing with. Yeah. From an amateur perspective, that's everything. It's everything. And, you, and people go out and they wonder why the 76-year-old's beating the 32-year-old. Yep. He barely bunts it out there, but his short game is so compact and so good. Yep. That's golf. It's, it it's not a different sport. It's not a, it's not a sport of, I think, in my opinion, I think Bryson DeChambeau is great for the sport, but at the same time gives the wrong impression of what golf really is to people. And then they go out there thinking they got to hit the seven iron with big draw, land it, boom, tap in. That's great if you can do that once or twice a round, but yep. the most of the round is making long putts, getting up and down, yep. keeping, like you said, that momentum. But in, 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 in the effort of, or in the, the topic of momentum, you're now, you've come up with a, a golf club. So let's talk yeah. about that real quick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we all dealt with quarantine. Yeah. Right. And we all dealt with it in different ways. Um, I went to like a really creative space of like I had spent just enough time with like really high level players, Kevin Streelman, Anna Nordquist. Um, and I had been able to see their tendencies. And then I had spent just enough time with amateurs um, who had tendencies of their own, which were not good, right? That's why they were coming to see me. Guys that had the chipping yips, guys that just were struggling in general. And so I started to sort of like see the contrast. At setup, my really good players, my Corn Ferry Tour players, my LPGA, my PGA Tour players, they all looked really similar at setup for a pitch shot, a bump and run, and a bunker shot or a flop shot. They all looked really similar. And then my amateur players, it was like, holy cow, they were all over the board, right? From a bump and run, it was like, man, Shaft was leaning 15 degrees forward trying to hit it low. Pitch shot, Shaft was leaning like 10 degrees forward trying to hit it like a pitch shot, like hit it a little higher. And then a bunker shot, it was like, man, they never opened up the face. <laughs> and then the hands were way in front. I was like, man, if I can kind of figure out a way to get these amateurs to look at setup similar to my tour players, Man, I'm like 85% of the way there to like helping them hit decent shots. So I started, I started thinking, I'm like, man, like the Seymour putter, it kind of gives you like that look of like, okay, I, I can kind of see where my hands are supposed to be. Yep. Right. It gives you that visual feedback. And so I started to kind of mess around on a wedge of like, what can give me that visual feedback? And so I started drawing lines on the hosel of the club of being like, man, if I can draw a line there and that line corresponds to like up at my, my visual, you know, like my nose and my eyes. Now I know like, okay, this is where the shaft is. 
Okay, now for a bunker shot, this is where the shaft is and this is where the club face should be. And then for like a bump and run, okay, shaft should be there, there's another line. Okay, boom, now I, now I have a setup cue, a reminder as to like where I'm supposed to be for each of the three disciplines around the green, right? Bump and run, this is where I'm supposed to be. Pitch shot, this is where I'm supposed to be. Bunker shot, flop shot, this is where I'm supposed to be. Now I've got a setup reminder cue of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Done. I'm good. Like I, now, I, now it's like, okay, I'm pretty much, the swing's not that far, right? Bump and run, swing's here to here. Pitch shot, swing's here to here. Yeah. Bunker shot, a little longer. Flop shot, a little longer. But I got to set up in the right spot or else I'm toast. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So now that I've got people set up in the right spot, so anyway, went through the whole process of like seeing if this idea was actually out there, number one, seeing if it was legal with the USGA, number two, seeing if it was like even plausible to like draw lines on the hosel, mill it, paint it, all that stuff, going through all that process of like, does it take weight away from it? How can we do it? Um, so spent a handful of months trying to figure all that out. Even just setting up a meeting with Titleist was four months in the making. And I was a Titleist guy from when I was like 15 years old on. Yeah. Right? And it was like, hey, I've got this idea. I think it could really help. Well, let's not talk. Let's talk about it at a 30,000 foot level. I can't talk about it in the details. Right? We have a bunch of money that's invested in R&D in-house. We can't, we can't discuss. We might be working on something similar to what you're doing. So we can't talk about it in details. Let's get our lawyers to talk about it so that maybe we can then have a conversation about it. It was like, wow, this is... <laughs> I just want to make a golf club. I'm like, I just want to help. <laughs> yeah, <yourself."> exactly. <laughs> uh, but I understand, like, they, I mean, they're spending a lot of money doing their R&D. But I'm like, I think you guys are doing your R&D to shift the center of gravity here, here, making the the proper grinds, putting the weight in the right spot, right? Giving people forgiveness high on the toe, all these types of things. This is what they're focused on. They're not focused on like, okay, once we build this great club for you, how do you use it? I'm, I'm dealing with the how. How do you set up to this shot so that it, you can engage the bounce? How do you do that? How do you do it so that you are using it properly in the sand so that it's working through the sand properly? This is how, this is, this is my idea is to like, this is how you use this genius golf club. Yeah. This is how you use it. For an amateur golf golfer, have you ever backed a boat into the water? <laughs> uh, I've never done it personally. I've seen it done, but I've never done it myself. It's much like hitting a bunker shot. Yeah. It's like, oh, here, no, we'll try it this way. You know, if there was just a line, you know, just yeah. line it up, you know. Totally. It's the same concept. Yep. It's we go out there and play golf every day. I can't get out of the bunker. Yep. I can't tell you how many amateur my parents, the, the first the person they come, can't get out of the bunker. Can't yep. get out of the bunker. Well, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't have a game plan. I, nothing. I don't know. I, I mean, it's like the slightest thing. And you have a you have a line on your putter. You have a, a dot on your driver. Exactly. They never thought to think. Let's help them get the club face. Yep. In the right spot. Yeah. And so it's been. I think we're probably. A, Pitched the idea to them in July of 2020. Yeah. They're like, 
I'm like, hey, I've got meetings with TaylorMade, Callaway in the next month. Let me know what you guys think. Two weeks later, they call, they're like, cancel those meetings. We like this idea. We want to pursue it. And that was July of 2020. What are we in now? Almost October, September, October of 2021. And they just sent me prototypes, like with the actual lines on them, painted everything uh, about a month, month and a half ago. And we're trying to launch it in November, right? So that would have been probably almost like 18 months of like from when we actually like I met with them to when it's actually going to come out, right? So it's a long process. And the people I've talked to uh, that are in kind of the industry, they're like, yeah, it's amazing that you've actually like gotten into and they actually want to take your product to market. It's kind of, it's unheard of, right? And the titleist guys that we talk to, they're like, they're, that I deal with, the marketing guy, he's like, we've never done anything like this. We've never gone outside of our company, taken an idea and brought it in and done a licensing deal. And it's like, this is a first. So we're gonna be learning together as we go, right? So um, our, whole, our whole goal is to like get it out on the Wedgeworks, on their custom site as an addition, right? You can go on there, get it as, get it as an addition to the custom wedge you're gonna get. Um, use it, see if it helps you. If it has a bit of a heartbeat, hopefully it grows, right? Hopefully people enjoy it, use it. It's helpful, hopefully for, I need to get it in PGA Tour players' hands so that they can use it in tournaments, zoom in on the camera, yeah. in the bunker. Oh, what is he, what's that on his club? Oh, it's a line, is that helping him align? Yeah. It's USGA legal, you can use it in tournament play. Um, and so like that's then the progression of like how it then evolves into like being on a handful of wedges to then being the standard on every wedge in like 10 years time, my goal is it for, for it to be on every Vokey wedge in 10 years time. Like, I think it it's that helpful, right? Like, yeah, you've got yeah. lines on your putter, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be a time, and my hope is like, there's gonna be a time when you're looking down at a wedge and be like, dude, you still have a wedge with no lines? <laughs> what are you, living in the stone ages? Yeah. Like, that's my thought is like, it's that helpful, like for people to have that reminder as to where you're supposed to set up. And it makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense, right? It's just yeah. like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> why, why would you not have that on your, on your wedge, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'll finish with this. You, you have such an amazing story. And I'd say it sounds like you're on the, the second half of your second chapter. What do you hope for on that, la that last leg of your, your, your second chapter? What's, what's the aspiration? Um... Yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, like, I want to make the short game, I want to make the short game cool. I want to make it fun, right? Like, right now, like you said, Bryson DeChambeau, it's all about hitting the long ball. It's about, like, the long ball is sexy, it's fun, it's cool. I want to make the short game cool. I want to make the short game sexy and fun. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, because in my mind, not every person can hit a 350-yard drive like Bryson DeChambeau. Nobody, not everybody can do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. We can't carry it 350. 
but I can make you hit a pitch shot like Bryson DeChambeau. I can make you hit that flighted spinner off of a tight lie. I can get you to do that. I don't need you to have crazy speed. I don't need you to be physically gifted. I can get you to do that. I think I want to get across the message that short game is fun, the short game is cool, it's sexy, and I think that anybody can do it. I can get you to do it. I can get Steph Curry to do it. I can get Barack Obama to do it. I can get anybody to hit a sweet, spinning, floaty pitch shot. I can get people to hit incredible bunker shots. I think I can do that with anybody across the globe. I think, I think that's what the second chapter of, the second half of the second chapter looks like, is like sending that message across the world that I can get every single person to be able to hit that sweet, spinning, floaty pitch shot using the back edge of the club, hitting sweet bunker shots. That's, I think that's the mission. And you've already started to do that, and I'll be a testament to it. When I miss a green and when I leave it in a bunker, I'm actually confident now. Yeah. Like, I'll get up and down from anywhere. Yeah. And that's, that's something you want when you go on the golf course. So, um, you got anything else, Jim? No. That was awesome. It's <laughs> a lot of time. Is there a name for the club? Oh, uh, we don't have a name. Oh, yeah, yet. that's a great point. We don't have a name. I asked the guy, we had a call yesterday, and I was like, dude, where are we at with the name? It's like, got to be chef like related, it? right? Like, I don't know. What is does it? Does chef, does a top chef have like a uh, a knife like that's his main what, what's the skillet or not the skillet though? Hanzo, Harry, the Hanzo, whatever that, that, that sword from. Yeah, yeah. We, just, we don't have a name. We don't have a name for it. And I asked him yesterday, I was like, dude, are we any closer on a name? He's like, no. Yeah. I'm like, we got to get a name. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I may just send him like, Enhanced alignment, alignment plus. Like, I don't know if he's going to go, if they're going to go for like. Uh, some, it needs a name. It needs a name. Yeah. It needs like a name. Yeah, I agree. But nothing. You know, Titleist is. The spatula. I mean, it's, it's a little more sure. conservative, a little bit, you know, they're a little bit more, not quite as edgy as like. Yeah. So it's, is it, so it's all patented right now? Can we show some of the lines or no? Like, yeah. So yeah. It's all, it's all kind of patent pending, right? So you could, you could if you wanted to zoom when, in on the When lines. can we buy it? November. 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 You can go on Wedgeworks. Are you going to buy one, Pete? Yeah. You have to. have to. kidding me? The only problem with your lesson with Pete is he hits seven irons like this now. Dude. You can't do that. We got to talk about this. We have to talk about this. 